The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is he's unfortunately out of here he uh he's busy he's got a lot of work and he loves this movie too which is a shame but out now is a film podcast where abe and i discuss new movies weekly however every now and then i have these special bonus episodes whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different but this is our commentary track for the month of september 2021 and in honor of the upcoming cry macho the latest Clint Eastwood film that actually stars Clint Eastwood. We are going to talk one of his classics and his one of his most award-winning films, Unforgiven, the 1992 Clint Eastwood revisionist Western. And joining me to discuss Unforgiven, we have from Wise Blue and host of the Brandon Peters show. He's a killer of women and children. He's killed just about everything that's walked or crawled at one time or another. It's Brandon Peters. I'm uh, upset in tears. I'm also muscular and very manly right now <laughs> also joining us once again from the cave of fatherhood she straightened him up cleared him of drinking whiskey and all it it's yancy burns i like that anymore <laughs> how, how are the two of you doing this evening excellent western time have we done a western commentary i do not believe we have we've done john carpenter movies which as we know right. are all secretly westerns uh, but uh, including Halloween movies, which are all westerns, but but you know, I'll, I'll look into this as we, as we go. I'll try to mm. find our. I was thinking about that this afternoon. I'm like, this might be a breaking breaking in on the genre. Yes, we, so we've certainly done, like I've said, we've done the John Carpenter stuff. We've done like western adjacent movie, even like mm-hmm. Star Wars, obviously. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, Searchers and yeah, yeah. So it's you know, there's there's stuff there, but I don't think we've done a. No, we did Tombstone. What are we talking about? We did Tombstone. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did Tombstone. That's right. <laughs> one of one of Yancey's favorite movies. Trivia answered. I, the <laughs> listeners that are screaming <laughs> listening right now are like, okay. Um, so yeah, we did Tombstone. But yeah, now we now, now we now we're doing Unforgiven. And so just for those unaware, we're going to do a commentary for Unforgiving, which means that we're going to talk over the movie. Uh, Brandon, Yancey, and I all currently have the Blu-ray ver- or whatever version we have, but we have, we have the we have a version. Okay. You guys are rocking the book. Got I it, have the 4K. I just, I'm not in the room with my 4K player. So for the most part, we all have the version of the movie we have paused at six seconds in, which is where the Warner Brothers logo is fully formed on screen. So if you plan to watch the movie and listen to us talk at the same time, cool, because that's fun. Uh, but also, that's all you need to do. You just got to pause it there. We're going to count down three, two, one, go. I'm going to go. We're going to press play. We're going to start talking about the movie. If you're just doing your thing, listening to our podcast while you're getting your morning jog in, Good, good on you for exercising. That's very commendable because it's important. But also, you're good to go. You don't have to do anything else. You just get to sit there and listen to, or not sit there, of course, because they just establish your jogging. You get to jog and listen to our commentary track. Why am I pointing at the screen as if that matters? Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're doing. Commentary time. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. Forgiven. One forgiven. Very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Clint. It's our first Clint Eastwood film. I know that. That's crazy. I know. I you, you were you've been championing a Mystic River commentary for a long time, but we just we haven't gotten to it. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I was trying to. What's the most obscure? Like, what, what's the weirdest one we could do a commentary for? For just like, random, like, why are they doing? Un- why are they doing Mystic River? Why the actor would be strange. Why are they doing the rookie? That's a weird choice. <laughs> Here's a fun fact: this uh, text on screen was originally supposed to be voiceover, and it's like the, one of the few things that Eastwood changed in David Peep. David Peoples, people, people, David Webb people, Webb peoples. D-dub. It's one of the few things that he changed in the script. It's like, I'll just do a, I'll do text. Yeah. <laughs> D-dub uh, peeps. Yep. I think it works yeah. not against it. You know, it's like, it gives you a good outline of what's going it, on. It feels historic that way. Like it, it feels yeah, like you're, you're chronicling a piece of history rather than seeing a movie almost, you know, I like how far back that shot is where there's like, there's like a little something going on. It's like, you can kind of hardly see it, but it just gives you this mood. Mm hmm. He's uh, burying his wife mm-hmm. or sitting by his wife's grave. Yeah. He's, he's using the shovel. Like he's, he's doing, yeah. A lot of nighttime in this one for a Western. Like, a, I, I feel like, I this mean, it's not like they don't have nighttime scenes, but this seems to offer a lot of the important stuff taking place at night. Well, in ter- yeah, in terms of like the style of movie this is to begin with, mm-hmm. as I mentioned already, it's a revisionist Western, but it's like, it's one that's certainly tackling a lot of tropes and, mm-hmm. you know, defying them, subverting them, what have you. Uh, and yeah, the, you know, given the movies that Eastwoods have been, has been in when it comes to Westerns that are, you know, generally seen during the, <laughs> in the, in the bright of days, so you can see how cool Eastwood is. And I know there's exceptions, uh, you know, something like this where it's very stark and moody it, you know, it's it's showing you something that's obviously different than the average Clint Eastwood Western that you've gotten before. Of course. And it's very like this. I, I guess this script has been around since like the late 70s or early 80s passing around. But the the cool thing like I like about this one is it's um, it, with in the case of this one, tackling the uh, uh, characters couple of characters that types that are like afterthoughts in a lot of the old westerns like the prostitute like that really this one really cares what they think what they're after um who they are like as people beyond just background decoration that was that they were for a lot of older westerns i want to let yancy talk but real quick that the 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 prostitute whose face was just cut, which sets off the whole series of events here. That's Anna Thompson. We've seen her. We've done a number of commentaries with her. We've mm. done the crow. Mm. We've done bad boys. Uh, she, she's popped up in a few movies that we've done. Commentaries. Right. This is, this movie is, you know, of course it's a Western, but it, 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 it is as in its, you were talking about it being dark. <clears throat> Sorry guys. <clears throat> You're talking about it being physically dark and it is, yeah. but in its philosophy and, and it's the way it proceeds is as bleak as any film noir is mm-hmm. it defines it it defines what makes film noir so great is that it's a it's a it's a bleak and no pun intended unforgiving look at at uh, the i guess american character at jane at, at clint eastwood's on-screen character that he's played since the leone movies it's 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 a it's a very bleak movie to have been a hit in the summer i think of august uh, summer of 92 right yeah, it was a hit for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it, it it came out. Yes, it came out in August August seventh. So. This is the first this week. I distinctly remember having a few years on you guys. I distinctly remember seeing the stand up for this, thinking, "Oh boy, a Clint Eastwood western that's mm-hmm. going to really set the world on fire." Because in my mind, I had never seen. I maybe had seen the Good, the Bad, the Ugly. I don't think I'd even seen that. So for me, it was like, well, Pale Rider had come out when I was a little kid, and I remember the reviews were bad. 
So I never saw it. And otherwise, Clint Eastwood was the, he was in the, the two movies with the orangutan that were sort of <laughs> version of Smokey and the Bandit. The two classics with the orangutan. Where Reynolds had convinced him to tap into that circuit and make, make movies like that. So he did. And, you know, he made a lot of cop movies in the 80s. And, 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 and you know, and he hadn't made a Western before this since Pale Rider. So for me, it seemed like an archaic and sort of hopeless movie to be trying to attract my attention. And then the reviews were so good that I think I saw it on opening day and was completely blown away by it. To its credit, I mean, it's coming after Western started picking back up again with Dances of Wolves having mm-hmm. won Best Picture a couple of years earlier. Uh, and, and, and and to just to note this real quick, Unforgiven, Dances of Wolves, and Cimarron. Those are the only three Westerns that have won Best Picture. Right. Uh, Unforgiven and Dances of Wolves do not have mm-hmm. this, <laughs> are not, well, whatever this, this movie is, is such a, yeah, it's 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 very different. I mean, all three of those are different from each other. Really, we've been making very bleak, dark revisionist westerns since they made started making sound movies. Revisionist westerns is a thing they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Liberty Valance, and um, it's in that classic. But it it, it is such a. It, it's almost the kind of people when people who aren't Americans say they love American cinema. It's usually for movies like this, where a movie star has save this project that he that he's had for a few years he thinks he's the right age to make it it frames his whole career in a new light and in terms of Clint Eastwood looking back now it's one of the most important movies he ever made because it established him I mean, this what is this like his 18th movie as a director already he made a lot directed a lot of movies and directed some really good ones mm-hmm. and a really good western or few uh you know high plains drifter and josie wales josie, josie wales josie wales Rider, i went back and saw a few years ago pale rider is terrific it's a kind of a remake of shane it's a sort of a strange movie i can see why it got bad reviews but it's very well made and, and sort of moving mm-hmm. but this is you know this establishes him as a fil- filmmaker of the first rank i remember this i was very chuffed in like 95 martin scorsese made that documentary a, a personal journey through american cinema it's like four hours long mm-hmm. it's him taking through his his the great movies, but it stops when he enters, it stops in the seventies when he becomes, uh, when he becomes a factor, one of the few movies, I think all that jazz he goes into and this and unforgiven he talks about, I was just, I thought that was so cool to see it so quickly canonized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's plenty to talk about, obviously, as far as the legacy this movie has and what it's done and the phases of careers that both Eastwood is in the other actors and like what this did for like Westerns or at least what maybe this even ended for Westerns, because after this becomes more uh, pop culture, sugary uh, by comparison. You know, there's there's a lack of meat for a little bit for a little while before we get to like the neo Western phase. And that obviously there's exceptions like Dead Man is 95. That's that's a psychedelic Western. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, and I mean, I said three Westerns, one, but I mean, No Country or Old Men, which is like that's like a neo Western, essentially. That's its own thing, but it still kind of fits. And it's not a, you know, it's not cowboys and on horseback kind of Western, but it's certainly it has the elements um, and that speaks to fancy something you already pointed out the the idea of noir and its association with westerns. Like, I mean, it, it, at first glance, you might not think of how closely connected the two can be, but then you think about just like the different themes being tackled, the use of atmosphere, the use of black hat, white hat, uh, you know, the moral gray that can kind of go between them, and look at just like Elmore Leonard, who wrote both neo noirs, <laughs> wrote noir like books as well as wrote westerns, right? Something like 310 to Yuma, the original, mm-hmm. based off an Elmore Leonard short story. That that's that entirely has elements of noir throughout that thing. It has characters that are very complicated and morally ambiguous. Like there's so much going on there that connects the two genres. 
I think the old West allows so much moral ambiguity for characters that it draws that kind of examination. It's always an examination of the American character when it's a Western too, unless it's Sergio Leone, then it's something else, but. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of different areas to explore when it comes to this, which is, I mean, obviously the Western has been such a, it's such an interesting genre as far as how far it's gone, how oversaturated it became and how it's evolved in different ways, which is not unlike a lot of genres, but because it's a genre film to begin with, it has, you know, Mm -hmm. just like horror, just like sci-fi, there's different kinds of, you know, this kind of thing. And it's, it can be fascinating, honestly, to just stack them all against each other and see how different they are. Yet they all fit in this one, you know, box. Yeah. To add, it was really interesting recently. The, the once upon a time in Hollywood, the novel goes into the divulging and a different, uh, evolution of Western in the period of when that film takes place mm-hmm. and how it relates to like television, how it was accepted and, and just the different ideas of it, which was not particularly in the film. Um, but just for people wondering where the mentality is, because things change um, big time. I mean, because the Leone stuff takes off a lot of the, a lot of the Italian and then, you know, you got Peckinpah who takes it to another heavier level as well um but not to say like you know those are the the cool ones the hard ones or whatever and uh, a lot of film geeks go back to them but there's a lot of good stuff before that as well even the the more polished fancy i mean john ford stuff of course we got like high noon i love i love high noon that's great stuff right there but well it's you're not wrong it it is neat to see the kind of or neat it's it's weird to see the attitudes that come to Westerns as far as like which ones are considered the cool ones mm-hmm. or whatnot by, you know, certain types of film geeks or what have you, where, you know, it, <laughs> just because it's, you know, done a certain style doesn't like diminish the fact mm-hmm. that it's like it, you know, looking at John Ford, what looking at the, the searchers and looking at High Noon and looking at right. Good, the Bad, the Ugly and the Wild Bunch, like none of those are lesser than each other based off the style that they're going for. They, they all have equal standing as far as what they meant for their times. Mm-hmm. Rio Bravo, uh, Red River, like there's, <laughs> and they're all wildly different from each other. And yes, some of them are very studio polished. Like you said, they have big stay of John Wayne or right. Dean Martin or what have you. But, Jimmy you get, Stewart. Yeah. And they were, then you get a, you, you know, you go to, you go to Italy and you, or Spain and you yeah. get these much, you know, vastly different kinds of energies coming out of these things because, Hey, Sergio Leone and some of the others that wanted to like do their own version of this thing and, you know, make apply a style that, that, that felt right to them to mm-hmm. approximate what they've been seeing overseas. Who's as we venture way off of what's actually happening for the past ten years? Who's this act? James Wolvet. Yeah, Schofield kid. Much else. This is his only big movie. I think. Yeah, right? like how uh, how bad is it? everybody talks about everybody in this movie, and he's probably the most forgotten one in there, and he makes it through. Too much of a career. I don't think I ever saw him again in anything. A lot of tel- his, a lot of television. It's his first movie, for one thing. I mean, yeah, he did some. He did TV before this, um, so he nailed the audition. Apparently, <laughs> but um, uh, he was in Dead Presidents a couple yeah. years later. Oh, mm-hmm. was he? All right. Yeah, uh, he's in Rosewood. Um, I mean, yeah, and that's pretty much it as far as high profile stuff. Everything else is just random. Yeah, other it's things. TV stuff. Like he's yeah, got TV some, and so, yeah. some notable TV. I mean, like Lonesome Dove. Um, he had uh, the read the when they brought the the fugitive back with that guy from Wings, Tim Daly, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He had that, um, but yeah, he's 
I mean, it was this, it Lonesome Dove, the original one, the Robert Duvall? The, the series um, from uh, 94. Yeah, the, yeah. That, that reminds me that Lonesome Dove would have been the, the most significant. It was on television, of course. Yeah. Significant Western before this mm-hmm. in terms of being critically and, and you know, well-liked by audiences. Um, like, I, I don't know how box office wise, but like Silverado, I guess is like a thing. Like, you know, when I was a little kid, Silverado, that was what you had. You had an attempt to do the not revisionist Western in a sort of Star Wars way. We're going to, re- we're going to relight Westerns the way Lucas relit uh, whatever Star Wars is at, at heart. So I never really, I Silverado never really played for me. Young guns uh, with the Brat Pack and all that. Yeah. Like, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, this is just more. I mean, even Tombstone, those are harder to do when you're making a straightforward Western that's not so much about, I mean, this is, this movie we're looking at here. Yeah, by definition, it's a Clint Eastwood revenge movie where at the end, he, what does he kill? 30 people in a bar? But it's hardly the kind of movie you go, yeah, Clint Eastwood. I mean, this is a heartbreaking movie. If no, we'll, we'll get there. It's, I mean, it's like the impact I mean, this thing has. The know? big thing is, is this is the anti-violence Western. Like this yeah. is, I mean, and it's it's interesting because it's both sides. Like yeah. uh, Little Bill does not, He the reason he's so shit, he doesn't want to bring all this ruffian into town because he knows it'll bring more violence. They can't just, you know, the, 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 the cowboys... Okay. He should punish the cowboys himself, but he doesn't want the violence. He doesn't want to bring the violence to his town. Eastwood also doesn't want violence, but just he his fail is farms failing here is whatever. He has yeah. to make money. He has to make money. He's also like stubborn and has issues. And Hackman's just an asshole. That's his problem. Yeah. I mean, Morgan Freeman's just a lot. Eastwood doesn't drink, yeah. and then he does. You know, and I think when he drinks, he he he's he's a you know, this is a sweet story at the beginning about this guy who changes ways for this unimaginably kind wife who unfortunately dies. And, and, and that's a very noirish thing to put him in this place. Well, how is this guy who is maybe just meant to be a killer? How is he supposed to not be a killer when he needs the money? You see him fumbling with, I mean, I remember people, it was shocking to see Clint Eastwood fumbling with pigs and falling off a horse mm-hmm. and playing so opposite the sort of steely. Cool Missing a shot thing. when he's trying with the pistol to, He's kind of a slow, dim-witted, sad sack. I wouldn't say dim-witted, but he's certainly like he's out of practice. That's yeah. for sure. And he's and he's really tried to like push all this away from him. And it's just such. A, I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. And him and Morgan Freeman in 1992 as the old guys, a role <laughs> they'd play for the next. <laughs> 30 years. So. Yeah, at the time, this was like, oh, well, this will be Clint Eastwood's goodbye. You know, he even said this is the last movie he's going to direct and star in. And instead, it was at the beginning of clearly another phase for his for him. And and not that I know too much about it, but Cry Macho, which is coming out on Friday, mm-hmm. is his first thing even close to a Western since this, right? Yeah. Even yeah. modern ones. Which is, which is a script that he's had, like, get, like, just like this one for a long time. And he's oh, just really? finally doing it. Yeah. He couldn't have known he was going to live to be 90. This I understand. And still physically able to keep making movies. I feel like Eastwood would know. <laughs> I mean, like, he's the guy, really w- the guy said, wakes up and does 100 push-ups. I feel like he's, he's going to, like, live. I did, you just watch. People. These people that work like this all the time, the, the, I, I hate to be dark, but the, the, the time they take a year oh, off, can't do it. they're going to be they're going to be done. Like, it, it, like I mean. Well, yeah. Guess who hasn't taken a year off? Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was him and Woody Allen for a him while. Woody, I mean, him and Woody Allen, they like they take a if they take time off, they're probably which they, puts their bodies gonna be like, oh, done. Like them both in a certain class of filmmakers like John Ford, where every single movie is not a masterpiece, but you're glad that they made so many movies because you get a full picture of who they who they are. You know? I mean, they've made so many; it doesn't dilute. But I mean, to be of the greats, of make you just 
they've made a handful like they've made yeah. at least five great, great all-time movies like i mean you look at like you know we consider coppola great but he made four in the 70s yeah. that are just elite um i love i love bram stoker's dracula but i'm sure that could be up for debate um that'd be that would be my five for coppola i would have to but sucker but still like it's been so long he's got plenty of movies but you know that's all you got i mean so what you made a bunch of movies you you're still one of the greats if you made multiple great uh, movies like freaking too you, freaking we, as well like before yeah exactly before we move on too far i just want brandon you said about the violence issue that the movie sort of talks about both sides yeah. that i would say is the hallmark of eastwood's career as a director and i think and it's what makes me think. I just I think he's a terrific filmmaker, even regard even apart from being one of the great movie stars. And I think the thing you can always get from an Eastwood film is he never gives you the answer. He only gives you both sides of an argument. Lately, perhaps he started to slip last four or five movies, but for for a long time, you could guarantee you could count on Eastwood to not tell you what he thought or give you an easy out or an answer. Which I find that to be fascinating, given the and it's not like he's a. Obviously, you know, he's he's had things to say on the political spectrum. And, and I mean, he was he was a mayor. I mean, like he's, he has his opinions and whatnot. But I mean, you look at some of these movies and the things that are in them, like this movie, which is, you know, anti-gun uh, to a degree or something like Million Dollar Baby, obviously, which has, you know, euthanasia as a huge topic of conversation. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating to think of like this man who, you know, seems seemingly has come down on certain sides and certain arguments, but has made really morally challenging films as far as like how to divide, you know, how to set up an audience for something. And then, like you said, Yancey, you know, deliberately hold back on having an opinion, you know, a, a direct opinion beyond letting the plot play out. And just, that's how it is. And you just, you just feel well, it. I think, when, it, you know, the reason, the reason he goes nuts at the end of this movie, you're angry. You're as angry at Gene Hackman as he is mm-hmm. killed off the other character. The only friend this guy has. And, and for us as the audience, the warmest character on screen. So, at that moment, you're kind of all for violence, you know. This, this is a good time for me to say that this is my favorite Eastwood movie. Um, this is my favorite Eastwood movie as an actor. My favorite movie as a director. I, I think this is hands down his best performance that he's given on film. And I, there's plenty of movies that he's made that I really like. This is one stands out. This will be his but. one. This will be the one when he passes one day. Like this will be the one for him. Like I mean, there's a ton of stuff, but like when it comes to director or all encompassing like he did to direct at like, this will be the pinnacle. This is like the apex of his. And that's, what's so great about it. I, I have to say that from, for me, even greater is million dollar baby. And, and this, they're both two of the greatest movies. They're, yeah. They're that's right up there for me. For I love, sure. I'm even, but the, what's so great about this. And what I think, I really think in a conversation of who are the greatest movie stars of all time, fine. You got to count in that Eastwood is not the cuddliest character, but I think a good argument for why he, great movie star of all time is because of the way he dovetailed into a directing career a serious directing career as soon as his need to be a matinee idol started to fade when he starts to hit his 60s there were less and less roles even for Clint Eastwood to play a a tough talking cop and he just became a greater filmmaker right in line with at the point where he had to let go of maybe his ego a little more so even the ones that are typical Clint Eastwood movies after this like blood work and true crime they still feel like the work of this filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It's that's why it's insane. Like watching this right now, this is 92. 
This is 30 years ago. He is 60. Like yeah. he's 60 now. And after this, he gets this insane career run where he continues being a huge movie star. And even what, like five years ago, he makes the biggest movie at the box office of the year. Like it's crazy. That he's a 60 year old man right now doing this stuff and, and unforgiven. And it's like the, the, some of the best he's done. And he has more, so much more track delays still. Well, it's funny. I've seen people are like, ah, Clint Eastwood, they grumble and stuff. I'm like, I don't care. People still go see his movies. They make money. They make plenty of money. And he doesn't like, make, he makes, you know, moderate budgeted movies that yeah. a studio can rely on that will come in under budget that will sell to, you know, an older audience for, for the most part, but still play. People want to work with him. Like, I, there's no doubt Bradley Cooper's learned directing from him. Like when I saw, <laughs> yeah. when I saw, you know, the star is born, like I was like, there's a lot of that. You can see a lot of Clint Eastwood, see a lot of Eastwood in, it, that, in movie. that movie. Like, like Sam Rockwell works with him and like all the, like a lot of people like it's not because he's a legend. It's like, you know, he's a legend. There's, a, there's, an, I, there's an Eastwood movie coming out. You want to be a part of that? Fuck. Yeah, I want to be. A part of that. Well, I, I also I don't think like his like personality in person is as like this bad person, like the social media kids want to make him like, do you know, like, do they know like what he's like? He helped bring Mario Van Peoples along like when he was in the 80s and stuff with like, you know, Grant, he had his father uh to you know help with his name and stuff but he was putting him in movies helping him like learn because mario ben peoples became a filmmaker himself because yeah, he sort of loves film like it's not just that he's like you know he likes being a cowboy or mm-hmm. like he just happened to get lucky with directing he's a right. fucking film lover he loves right. cameras he loves and doing stuff <laughs> i don't think he's like any any kind of thing that you may look back and say oh look at this like i don't think anything's out from any place of ill will or t- i think he genuinely cares about so like I guess like, you know, like something like Gran Torino. I don't think it came out of a place of ill will or anything like that. I think it came out of a a place where he wanted to share a a learning experience with people, showcase stuff for an audience that may not understand. And, you know, you know, give like Asian American actors jobs, talent, showcase them. Like, I don't. I don't oh, yeah, think- his I think his choices stem from curiosity. I completely mm-hmm. agree with you. I, there's- if we're going to go back now, I mean, you know, that's a little too harsh. I mean, is that the word now that Gran Torino is is a racist? Well, I've seen I've seen it where it's like, oh, I, well, I've seen. I, I think I think it, yeah, I think it fits within a pattern people want to try to exactly try to yeah. choose try to try to pick apart as far as the movies he's made right. in recent years is like what's so. linking them all no no i'm not i'm not saying i agree with this i'm saying that I'm i don't saying that i don't agree with it Yancy, but i'm just saying what there's the, a there there's a because by default he's a conservative mm-hmm. there's a through line they're trying to draw through his movies in order to have an opinion that makes these people seem special because they point something out about eastwood as if they could suddenly take him down uh, he was an awful racist arch conservative well, thank God he's not. But I mean, we're dealing with the movies here and not his. And when he dies, the details of his personal life will mean less than nothing. And his movies will still exist. Mm-hmm. This is obviously the argument for this kind of thing. But um, I mean, there's there's other things about his personal life as well, that doesn't need to get into it. We haven't even talked about Gene Hackman yet. Who, this is well, what yeah, we'll have yeah. more to do. We'll talk about him soon enough. <laughs> like, there's plenty for Hackman to do. But it's because I just want to stick on this Eastwood thing for a bit. The the other aspect that I love about this movie um, is the fact that he's doing this now and it it's just this it's this just amazing response to his career that he's had up until this point. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's what caught me like off guard when I first saw, we didn't even talk about this when we first saw these movies. So, yeah, so yes, yeah, so you, you saw this in theaters. You saw it eventually. Is that what you're saying? 
I saw it right away because the reviews were so good. Although, remember, Siskel and Ebert initially did not like this movie, and then Ebert that's, changed. Yeah, it's it's, so it, that's the wildest thing to be that he, that Ebert changed his review. He went from two stars to four stars. Liked him at this point. He got the thing that Eastwood really got a bad rap for was his relationships with women. He was not the best guy to be going through a breakup with, with yeah. which many people aren't that we never hear about. So say what you will, but yeah. So I had to drag my best friend to go see this who who the idea he didn't even my friend didn't even see he was the biggest back to the future fan in the world he didn't even see part three in the theater because he was so turned off that it was a western i dragged oh my gosh i dragged into this and he was blown away but he he couldn't it was like the worst idea he had to go see a western there are a lot of people that are just anti-western all like because it's so antiquated already in 92 they don't they don't make them anymore and yeah I mean, technically, in order for there to be a movie like this to even exist, they had to have been making them for 80 years because this is such a comment on it's like the Western. It's like you're having a dialogue with all the other Westerns that have been made, you know, um, that form. The Eber thing I thought I do find to be fascinating as far as he went from two stars to four stars and it's on his great movies list now. And it's, it's like, I th- like wrong. You're right. I remember the end of the year. What you changed your mind? You're wrong. This is really like this. He he he, he, he like chalked it up to like he was tired. Like he was like, he was seeing a lot of films for film festivals or whatnot. And he's like so, and like readers urged him, and he's like, all right, I'll check it out, and he did, and he liked the you know the way he liked it like as far as he yeah, like Paris, under the pressure of Cisco, i think he saw his errors how i like to think of it is like this is what this is how i think of you yeah so you're just constantly tired so when i like something you don't it's just you have you need to see it again and then you realize that you're <laughs> wrong who else, who's bigger at seeing things again and revise i'm happy to admit i was wrong brandon i want i want to i want to hear when you first saw this but real quick morgan freeman it feels like like after glory he just became old <laughs> like, it, like it's, it's like glory he was still like middle age or like not like a little under middle age where he could reasonably play like a 40 year old person or what have you after that you look like robin hood and the, like he just became like old wise man and that's that he, he's ran that for the past 30 years very well it's not like he's bad ever but it's just, it's just kind of old wise. he's kind of like uh He's not really an old wise guy in this. He, no, he's not. He's not playing it like he's not playing like magical Negro, obviously. But like he's. Well, that's a good question. Was this role for a black actor? Or was it just written for a, a cowboy? It doesn't feel like it's crafted for a black actor. From what I from what I was able to find, uh, he, Freeman learned about this movie while making Robin Hood with Costner. Costner told him about it, and yeah. so he just went to Eastwood and asked if he could, you know, read for the part or whatever he needed to do, and he got the part. Like it was hmm. very very simple. Like he just he was interested, and Eastwood said. All right, and that, that was that. Great, um, obviously, but yes, it's fine. Like yes, he's not like, but he's certainly seasoned here. He's certainly you know, he and Will are old. They're old friends. Worldlier than Eastwood, I think he's 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 brighter than Eastwood. He's, he's I think we identify with him a little more. He's yeah. a little scared as the movie goes on. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying he's like Walter Matthau in the '90s. Like he's he's just he's older than he's been playing. I think like even now he's like, he seems like he's aged. He seems like he's aged up. If anything, like he's because he's still like Morgan Freeman is still relatively young at this point. Ninety two. He's here. How old is he? Here? Yeah, how old is Morgan Freeman in general? <laughs> Let me look this up. I do not know this apparently because <laughs> Morgan Freeman could be any age right now, and I wouldn't be surprised. He's eighty four, so he's in it. So he's so he's in his fifties. He's in his early fifties. Yeah. Okay, we'll get back to all this. Brandon, when did you first see Unforgiven? Tonight. This is it. Um, <laughs> no, I. <laughs> So I first saw I didn't see Unforgiven for a few years after it came out. I had a 
my Eastwood um, love and admiration for him um, came when a friend of uh, I always knew of Clint Eastwood, but I don't think I really watched Clint Eastwood movies. Um, we went to go to the video store because we always run tried to rent like a, a name title or something, and we were looking for Shaft that night because we were yeah, like right. we should watch Shaft. Then no video store had it, but we were like, what about? Dirty Harry. Like, okay, we'll rent Dirty Harry. And I loved Dirty Harry. I watched all the Dirty Harry's. And after Dirty Harry, there's crazy go other things. And I think I I think I then watched like Outlaw Josie Wales. That was great. Um, and then just started going through his his catalog. I think I got to Unforgiven really early because I was one of the notable ones that I was like, just it was really good. Um, but I started just going through everything I could Eastwood because I, I got it. Like he was always this big movie star. When I was growing up, I was like, man, whatever. He's not, you know, one of mine. And then I just saw Dirty Harry, loved the guy, and just wanted to check out all his work. Brandon, real quick, uh, just this is a fun tease for next month. That thing I told you about earlier is who we yeah. could get on a horror episode. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. Sweet. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, I had at this point when I, I saw, I saw Unforgiven in college. Uh, I had at that point seen Eastwood's Man of No Name trilogy. Like I had that on DVD at that point. So I've okay. been very familiar. And I, and I had seen uh, a lot of Good and the Bad and the Ugly like throughout my life for whatever reason. I just like it was on TV or whatever. Those are just, movies that are like, I've seen that, sure, but you really haven't seen it till you really sit down and watch it. Yeah. Kind but of, yeah. but like I know like by high school at the latest, I had seen those three movies specifically, like, and was like, yeah, these are great. I, I didn't see Dirty Harry until much later for whatever reason. I just never got around to it. And I've still, I don't think I've ever seen all of the, I've seen a lot of sudden impact, but I, no, what's, what's the second one? Is it Magnum Force? Magnum Force. Magnum Force I've seen a lot of Magnum Force, but I've never, I don't think I've ever seen like beyond clips. I don't think I've ever seen the other three Dirty Harry. Three, right? There's five of them. Right? Five. Three. Yeah, I haven't seen the other three Dirty there's Harry. Su- uh, there's uh, the Enforcer, Sudden Impact, and the Deadpool. And the Deadpool, of course, with the with the the uh, remote control bomb. James uh, Carey and, and, James and Carey. Liam Neeson Nearly, and yeah. uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Richardson, Patricia. Oh no, Patricia Clarkson. Do you Smart. think Warner Brothers just has like a, a like a truck full of money that's just sitting in a parking lot that's marked? Dirty Harry Six, and the second they get that, they, like Clintus was like, "Yeah, all right." They just looked like, "Get the truck, drive it to him, get the money were, to him." They were trying to reboot it with The Rock, is what they were doing with uh, yeah, they, Dwayne Johnson. And then, yeah, how's that going? There was rumor that Gran Torino was, <laughs> Gran Torino, six, yeah, yes, Dirty Harry Six. I remember that. That was a rumor mm-hmm. that Gran Torino was going to be. He's following a killer in a Gran Torino. Since, since it hasn't happened, I still think that Warner Brothers just weighs like. One day we'll get the call that he wants to do it. He wants to make the sixth one. And he'll bring you it'll be Brad Bradley Cooper will be his young entourage or something, or his young ingenue. That's the word. His partner usually <laughs> dies, so and he'll be the new Dirty Harry. Yeah. <laughs> or Dirty Harry will die. Last impact. Whatever. <laughs> uh regardless. So I so I eventually so I saw this movie in college. I saw Unforgiven for the first time in college, and I was floored by it because because I know the man with no name stuff so well, and I know his other some of his other westerns, mm-hmm. but like it got me. And this just brings me back to the other point I was getting to. I love that this is a direct response to his early days of westerns. I think that is such a fascinating angle for him to play, and why this movie works so well. It, as a counter, I have you have you, have either of you guys seen the Japanese remake with Ken Watanabe? I have not. Always wanted to, but yeah, yeah I feel like it. there's a reason because it's not great. Like it's not terrible by any means. It's Ken Watanabe and it looks nice, but 
it didn't, it clearly didn't land much of an impact because nobody's really seen it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the reason why is because as good as Ken Watanabe is and as much samurai cinema as there's been, which is incredibly closely related to Westerns. When you have Ken Watanabe, an actor who hasn't had a 50 year career playing cowboy or playing samurai. It's Toshiro Mifune's it, uh, movie, not exactly. His. Yeah. If, if, if that movie, if they made Unforgiven with Toshiro Mifune, if he was somehow still alive and like he was able to, that would mean something. Of course, because the, but, the first two Sawayoni ones are based on. Yeah, exactly. At least the first one's based on Yojimbo, right? Yes. Yeah. But with but with with Ken Watanabe, as good as he is in it, he just doesn't have that weight at all. So mm-hmm. you're just watching a good samurai movie, but it doesn't mean anything compared to this yeah. movie where you have this guy who's who's remorseful and reflecting and feeling guilt all the time about like the, hun- the hundreds of people he's killed as a gunslinger over the years. Like that means something. There's so much there. And I find that to just be really interesting. Just a great way to talk about east with like laying something out there for you to chew on that's a great idea for like why to tackle a movie even, like this doesn't even seem to feel it as guilt he just seems to see it as horror there's this horrible ghost remember that guy we blew the teeth out the back of his head yeah. i saw him last night you know it's like and martin freeman was like oh yeah he's like no no he didn't deserve that like what? yeah, yeah you, you, you don't like that anymore i mean you know, trying to go to sleep and he's just like it's like i i, I do think eastwood is playing a relatively he doesn't usually do it, but I think he's playing a less than bright guy here. I think he's playing a sort of a simpleton who had a who had this talent for being immoral. And I think Freeman is a wilier, smarter character than that. Well, he has to do more, like as a character, right? Where like the man with with the male of no name. It's weird saying all those words. Yeah. He doesn't talk much to begin with, so it's not like he's giving you a whole lot to give you what his personality is beyond determined. Like, so it's, yeah, so like having a movie like this where you're really like delving into what his character is, like, all right, I can, I can see what you're saying, Gantz, as far as like, yeah, he's not the brightest, like, he just, he's good with a gun, right? Like, he's, 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 like a, a substantial woman to come along and, and put him on the right track, you know, mm-hmm. and his bad luck is that she died. Um, and the, 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 his bad luck is still be living in the universe where the only way to make money is to go back to being killer. And, that's, I just think it's so sad that it's, is it, if it's at the beginning and the end, this mention of nobody knowing why this woman would have married this notorious, awful killer. It's just a sad thing to think we've seen this bubble in time where he had conquered that, you know? So it, moving, moving to a different direction real quick, because we only have so many scenes with him. Richard Harris here. English Bob. Dumbledore himself. English, Dumbledore one. Um, English Bob. Um, you know, this script is very good. That's what I can say. Like, if you can, if you're able to, like, in the midst of this story of Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman and Gene Hackman, you're like, also this guy's coming into town, and he's bringing Saul Rubinick along because why not? We need a Jew in here. Like, it's 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 a really like neat character to bring in. That is this like gunslinger guy who's traded on his fame throughout his life. Well, he's the pre Leone uh, outlaw, where he's a phony, like pretty much. Uh huh. And right. it, but he's boasting about it, and he's flashy and clean, and even the accents Doc, fake. Uh, Doc, at the end uh, of this thing, right? Holiday, sort of. Yeah. So Doc Holiday that that only backs it up with stories and not action. Yeah, well, he did things, but he he you know he, what I think is fascinating is that I think any writer, any screenwriting coach would tell you you can't have twenty minutes of scenes without Morgan Freeman and Glenn Eastwood. Now you can't introduce English Bob and have a, but you absolutely need to have it in here. To establish Gene Hackman's character, yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. and 
it's it's just a, he, this guy is Pe- David Peoples also wrote Twelve Monkeys. He wrote the Blade, Blade Runner. Runner, you know, and he wrote a great documentary. His first credit is a great documentary called The Day After Trinity, which anybody oh, okay. for excited about Chris Nolan doing the Oppenheimer movie. That's a great documentary about. Yeah, it. I didn't know he wrote. That. Okay, yeah, he wrote that it's great first credit. Um, and this script, yeah, it was originally called the William Money Killings, I think. It's the William Money Killings and the Cut Whore Killings, because those titles are going to play really well <laughs> on the marquee. William Money, M-U-N-N-Y, is a great name, again, for like a sort of slow character <laughs> and for this movie, you know. English Bob. This is now, This I was trying to think last night, how often did Gene Hackman play an out-and-out villain in his career? Like this. Is this more the start of it? I'm trying to think if he's done it before. Lex Luthor, I, mean, I guess. Lex, I mean, so. yeah. Luthor, who is, yeah. But this guy, he's scary in here. He uses his size in here. He gets to be a big guy like he is in real life, Hackman. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really scary in this. And he thinks he's right. He thinks he's absolutely just. Because he comes out of like the 70s where it's a lot of like morally ambiguous characters, but not exactly villains. I'm trying to, I can't think of like out and out villains like this. Little Bill. Mm. <laughs> I mean, young Frankenstein, he's the villain to, to, to uh, the monster, obviously. Right. Okay. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, he's the villain in the absolute power, which is a later Eastwood. Yeah, at, like after, no, this, I, that's what I'm saying. That beyond Lex Luthor, this kind of kicks off a wave of him playing like these kinds of like smart villain guys that are, you know, that, that are morally, big. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're right. Lex Luthor is there, but. Runaway jury. Well, yeah, there's a lot of those, right? Yeah. There's that, there's, there's a couple Grishams. Um What's the one? The um... Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> um, extreme Measures, right? It's yeah. him versus Hugh Grant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he's starting to be the old guy to the young ones, so he's starting to. Ants, you know, if he wants the big he, movie, he's gonna he's got to be the bad guy. He's the villain in Ants, General Mandible. True, he is the villain. Yeah, he starts to play like a yeah. He's. I mean, he's technically the villain in the Royal Tottenbaums. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I guess. But there's, I mean, there's really nobody with his presence that's come along at all. Like he's Hackman. Yeah, he's almost. Like not who would you describe as a Hackman type in today's? Well, it's the same. Like you could say the same. But I mean, all the seven is there's no Hoffman or De Niro or Pacino. The the difference is they still work. Right, right. I mean, usually someone comes along that can fill that void. He's one of the few. Granted, and I'm not saying you can count on one fa- one hand like people with extraordinary presence and gives a unique thing. But Hackman, I str- I struggle to come up with like yeah. No, it feels like want- I, I guess because we have like other like Oscar Isaacs like a Pacino like there's like Pacino there's, a little bit. So yeah, he's very Pacino. The most violent year he is definitely out Pacino. There's like yeah, there's certain ones you can compare it to, but it but it does feel like there's there's it's easier to compare like golden age cinema people to people from now as opposed to 70s cinema people like it seems like it's less right. easy to to really do that it doesn't of a, look like a movie star really he just is yeah. that's a lot i mean that's a lot of it like same with hoffman there's not a lot of like these kind of guys that do this yeah. thing speaking of uh pacino wah, beat clint eastwood for the best actor award uh for this movie i mean he's he, never won the best actor award has he no he huh? hasn't no could have yeah, won for Million Dollar Baby. He's so good in that. Jeez, that's he wanted it. No, uh, Jamie Foxx had his name on it, baby. Uh, it's a great performance. Too. It is a great performance. That's the thing. <laughs> right. And I mean, this. I mean, yeah, Eastwood. I mean, it's my favorite Eastwood performance. But I mean, this is also Malcolm X year. So I mean, Denzel would have won it for me this year. So it's so Hooah, Pacino. Hooah, hooah, hooah. <laughs> Let's just do that for twenty minutes. 
um, Hackman, by the way, this this thing, this is what like boggles my mind about Hackman. He does this movie, which is you know he's amazing in it. This is it's a fantastic performance. He wins an Oscar. Then he does Quick and the Dead. I don't dislike Quick and the Dead, but it's like. He did another Western villain character that leads a town. Like, what do you think was going to get out of that? Like, <laughs> hey, it worked out for him in '92. So, <laughs> it's, it's such a weird like choice. I mean, it's three years later. But even I mean, sure, he did just, Wyatt Earp too. He's in Wyatt Earp. Yeah, oh, Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Right. He's, he's in Geronimo also. You know, he had a few Western things going on, I guess. Mm. But it's just it's just weird to play like basically the same guy, but in a B movie. Like, it's just such a weird like choice. Like, he's like, I, I don't know. This movie, unfortunately, it's the sh- quick in the day shouldn't have had to bear that burden of being compared to Unforgiven. But well, maybe just- maybe he wanted to work with Sam Raimi, Sharon Stone. Like, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by these reasonings. It's just funny that he's playing, you know, a version of this of Little Bill in that movie, and mm-hmm. that movie's you know, the tone is, you know, a one eighty from what this movie's trying to do. Mm-hmm. I guess he just, I mean, he was working a lot in the nineties. I guess he just enjoyed yeah. the work. Like, he was, he was making his final run. He was like, all right, this is it. 10 more years. Let's, let's just stack them up. I saw Rubidick's fun in this movie. Also. I like, I like his role as the writer who like changes sides. <laughs> At this point, like, We've already established that Hackman's not like the best guy, given how he's handled the whole, you know, murderous cowboy thing. But then you like, I like how it's come, you know, complicating things by, you know, he has very set laws about how his town is run, and you know, this guy's coming in, not you know, giving any inch. So it's like, well, and all his little deputies are a bunch of yahoos, and you can just tell physically that they're not right fit. Yep. Saw Rubenek pee in his pants. Nothing like that. Saw Rubenek's big in the '90s, right? As far as like character actor stuff. No, oh, he was a sex sex god in the '90s. <laughs> it was all over the girls' magazines. Oh, like I just I just watched True Romance on 4K like a week or two ago again. Yeah. And he's should have won a supporting actor. Oh god, so yeah, he's, he's so good. <laughs> Playing what, Don Silver. He, he's so like good as, jo- as as Joel Silver. Joel Silver, Joel Silver, yeah. <laughs> Joel, oh gosh, uh, I would put. We haven't talked about uh, Francis Fisher. Francis Fisher, yeah. And, and I look at her and I'm like, does he cast her because she looks kind of like Sandra Locke in the face a bit? Oh yeah, different hair Very color. Nice. But I'm like, it was his girlfriend at the time they were dating? I think that was his longtime yeah. girlfriend, Francis. Whatever her name is, Fisher. <laughs> Francis Francis Fisher. Fisher. Like, he's got Fisher, a type. Fisher. This is a lot of time spent with little Bill too. I just like it's just leading to this giant ass whooping. He's gonna get like it. Where's Richard Harris? I assume he's done. A number of things at this point, obviously, to get to like where he is to be billed in the poster with everybody. Um, uh, the Man Called Horse. That was his big series of westerns <clears throat> in the seventies. That was huge, uh-huh. and he's in. You know, he's an English actor. Uh, he's in Patriot Games the same year. Say, I know he has plenty of credits. <laughs> yeah, Patriot Games the same year. Um, Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. 
you ever see that with Robert Duvall and he is two old guys in Florida? Hmm. It's a pretty good movie. Four years prior, he was in Strike Commando 2. The Bruno Matai film. But there is, a, I, what I'm getting at is there's just like a certain energy that, you know, among all these American actors, you have uh, Richard Harris coming in here that brings a different kind of energy. And there's various ways to cast something like this role, right? But you have this kind of, you know, silver-haired Brit coming in here as an assassin, essentially. You don't, I don't think you know where this is going if you don't see, haven't seen this movie, right? You don't think that, you know, Richard Harris is going to get the shit beat out of him. <laughs> like, and that's like his role here. Right. And yeah, it's, it does firmly establish like how Hackman can conduct himself. Well, he's a fascist and a sadist. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even if he's against guns, he's. Well, because it, it really brings it home, right? Because up until this point, despite him being like, he has a smooth talker vibe going because he's Gene Hackman and he had, you know, you, there's a there's a charisma there and, you know, he's building a house. So it's like, okay, there's a greater good here. Not the best handling of the whole prostitute thing, but okay. Now he's just, yeah, you're really getting an idea of like, this guy, this is this guy. He, he has a certain vibe that you're just not going to be down with if you have to deal with him on a daily basis. His past comes out of him at yeah. any given moment, whereas Eastwood's money takes a lot to get his past out of him. Right. When Richard Harris first sees him, he recognizes him. He goes, "Oh shit, it's <laughs> Little Bill." Right. So <laughs> he's sort of gone straight by becoming the mayor, this the sheriff of this town, building this house which is what Eastwood character really hasn't done. And I'm sure it's sort of a criticism of, of, of certain types of people that the, 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 at the, as the West was sort of civilizing, they went from being scoundrels to being uh, sort of right, self-righteous sheriffs. Right. You know. Like you're only the sheriff of the town because you took it over. Like that's right. Now you want law. Okay. What was Hackman before? What was he in just before this? Did we just, did we? Um, way out was a couple of years. He was in company, time. company business, uh, class action and narrow margin. Postcards from, Postcards the, edge. from the edge. Postcards from the edge. Loose cannons. Package. The package. Mississippi yeah. burning obviously yep. was like a huge movie for burning, him. Yeah. yeah. From what I can tell, by the way, it looks like Sharon Stone was responsible for Hackman and Click of the Dead because she was a producer on that film. She okay. like had a lot of control over it. She brought on Raimi. So. She brought DiCaprio. She's, she brought to well, it's, it's there's not a quick of the dead commentary, but they had they wanted Matt Damon. He said no. Sam Rockwell auditioned. He didn't get it, and then that DiCaprio got the role. Yeah, they all worked with Eastwood eventually. She's, <laughs> she's a very, I mean, she's a very involved with her films person. Like she's very, yeah, very. Yeah. I like, I, I mean, I know having worked on like her uh, Blu-rays and DVDs, she's always involved in that process as well. So she's a film and that's like 94 95 so that's like that's her peak that's her peak time as a movie star where she has a lot of power basic so. instinct takes her yeah two actors who look very comfortable on horses and just together yeah. like there's a lot oh, of good yeah. riffing here yeah you'll get your oscar next time morgan <laughs> <laughs> this one's for gene Wait, well, yeah, this, this, he has two, right? Is it just two? He has the French connection in this. Hackman, uh, Hackman? Yeah, maybe. I think he, he just has two. 
He's probably got a ton of nominations. His second nom- best actor was Mississippi Burning. Um, yeah, he because he won French Connection. Nothing, and then there's nothing else for a while. It's for yeah, Mississippi Burning, then this, and he should have been nominated for Royal Town of Bums, but he wasn't. Was he nominated for Hoosiers? No. Yeah. Was Hopper though? Oh yeah, Hosker, Hopper was yeah. Hopper, well, yeah, that's that was what his I comeback movie. That's, I always remember that. And Blue Velvet, but they weren't going to give him a nomination for Blue Velvet. I feel like who that's, that's yeah, why I got the nomination, it. yeah, because it was yeah. just a big year. Yeah, ninety three, seventy two. Those are the only years he won. Yeah, that's what I thought. And he's got who did who did, who did, uh, who did Hackman beat this year? Freeman was he nominated? No, Freeman wasn't nominated. Um, well, who was in ninety two? Um, I don't know. Let me see. Oh, man, I'm starting to forget. 92 is here we go jack nicholson and a few good men al, yeah. pa- al pacino and glengarry glenn ross which so that's a good that, that's a that's a better win than fucking son of a woman but okay yeah uh, jay davidson in the crying game sure and david pamer and not and billy crystal's mr saturday night the one where billy crystal's like i'm gonna get this and david pamer's like not so fast billy it's my time david, <laughs> <laughs> david pamer so yeah. I like I honestly like, I know it's such an obscure thing, but I kind of think that Billy Crystal hates David Paper because <laughs> because of Mr. Saturday Night. This like I'm going to evolve this sketch into my big prestige project, and fucking David Paper gets my Academy Award nomination. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Hackman's been nominated uh, five times, twice for Best Actor, three times for Best Supporting Actor. Two for five. What are the other three for Hackman? They got one. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, never sang for my father, and Mississippi Burning. Oh, they're early. That's why they're early. I didn't yeah, look, they're, I didn't go back before, or far enough. Yeah, he yeah. built up to that French Connection win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. He's great in Bonnie and Clyde. Also, we did a commentary mm-hmm. on that. Listen to that yeah. one. We probably we probably talked about it. <laughs> so Schofield kid is back. And he's nearsighted. That's a that's a fun thing. I will say uh, it's funny. A lot of other places, as Aaron and I, we're both big French Connection two fans. Um, everywhere, it's a good the, movie. Everywhere but the <laughs> Academy looks like they nominated him for Best Actor that year for French Connection two. Because he's really great in French he Connection is. two. He has it, that whole scene where he has to get off of heroin. It's, oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's Mickey amazing. Mantle sucks, isn't he? Screaming. <laughs> Like that movie has no business of being like as good as it is, but John Frankenheimer was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna make a fucking kick-ass sequel to French Connection, and you're gonna like it." Yeah, he's gonna get that guy. He's gonna go to France, and he's gonna he's gonna take him down. No more waving. <laughs> I didn't realize that existed for the longest time. She's like, "There was a second French Connection." Right. I finally saw. It's like, what? It's really good. And no one talks about it. Like what? <laughs> What's what? happening? Frank and I has a number of those. A number of those like secretly good movies that no one like really references. He did Not seconds, Rangers. right? He did yeah seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. This is a cheap movie, by the way. It's like fourteen million dollars. All Looks real great. stuff too. All yeah, real. Well, that's, that's why, because <laughs> it's just like we'll just go to locations and film. We don't need to build. We'll build. They 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 filmed it fast. They Marvel it. would CG the hats on them. <laughs> yeah, 
but they uh, they filmed this movie pretty fast they're like two months ahead of schedule on it because they built the town like really quickly it's canada right it's canada yeah, yeah. and uh clint knows everybody in the industry so he thought he's able to get like anybody he needed to ride horses and do stunts and things like so it wasn't like it wasn't difficult for him to put this movie together he's an, of course a notoriously notoriously fast filmmaker yeah uh, which is why the baby thing happens in american sniper and, and <laughs> Is he's he's notorious, and some critics hold it against him that they can tell. I don't think you can tell, but he doesn't do a lot of takes. No, because he he works with good casts. So you, you, I mean, if you're on a Clint Eastwood movie, I assume everyone's rehearsed, they know their lines, and they're gonna like get the job done in a, you know a take or two. They're not gonna be sitting around being like, yeah. hope Eastwood doesn't notice how bad I was." Like, like there was I a wanna... period here of like ten years where whatever prestige movies were lining up for Oscar, all of a sudden in like October, East would be like, oh, I'm making another movie. It's coming out in two months. Everybody <laughs> would start quaking in their boots. Like, oh shit, he's going to drop another million dollar baby on us out of the blue, you know? It kind of works yeah. poetically that the Schofield kid isn't in much else because he obviously isn't going to be much of a gun killer <laughs> movie. You know, he's kind of a wannabe. I do like Freeman testing him. I mean, like I don't, I don't buy into the, all your your talk that you're giving me, kid. And it's not, I mean, it's not unobvious, but I like that they're all wearing different shirt colors. Mm-hmm. Get a lot of get a lot of variety going here. And Eastwood would probably say, "I'm wearing red, so they can't, my my uh, enemies can't see me bleed." So where's Freeman? So he's he's done Glory at this point. He's done Robin Hood right before this. Yeah, it's like Lean on Me. Is Lean on Me like right before this? Also, I mean, no, I know it's before this. Is that early eighties? Uh, he's got no, uh, Shawshank and Outbreak after this. Yeah, after this, he, like because uh, like he's already a star, but like after right. Daisy is is before this. Drive, there we go. Driving yeah, that's that's yeah. the thing that really propels him. That puts him yeah. up there. Yeah, and Lean on Me is that same year as Driving Miss Daisy. And he'd been in that movie Street Smart, which is oh, clean and sober as well. The year before, uh, Lean mm-hmm. on Me, Drive Miss Daisy. Yeah, nominated for that Street Smart. I think he did that Christopher Reeve movie that I, I never yeah. saw. I saw it. I did it do the scary. I did the Blu-ray for it. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yes. Yeah, he came out. Of, he was. Uh, I think Pauline Kael was like, "This guy's the best actor in the world. Why is he not famous?" And we're like, "Oh yeah, he kind of is." Yeah, eighty nine was yeah because that's Glory and Jeremy's Davy and Leon Me. That, that's you know that that's two key starring roles, one huge supporting role, and even in Glory, he's behind. <laughs> it's weird saying he's behind Broderick, but he's basically the co lead of that movie. Yeah, because we needed Broderick to tell that story. Um, <laughs> that's the old knock. Yeah. I, I like Glory; it is completely fine, and Denzel is obviously great in it. But it's just like just <laughs> well, even watching it again recently. And it looks great. I mean, Edward Zwick knows how to make a big scale movie. It's just like, why is Broderick? Like, what? At what point were they like, yeah? This, I mean, I know why, but it's, yeah. it's weird. It's weird to watch it. The duck of death. I love this whole thing where he's intimidating them both. Duck, I says, the duck of death. And he's jealous that this that Richard Harris has got a book being written about him. His ego. He wants to have a book written about himself. Oh. 
I wonder where he's pulling that. I mean, obviously it's the script, but I wonder where they're like pulling from as far as mythology and like what and where Western myth and stuff like that. Like, I, cause there's a lot of these like Western heroes that, you know, at this, I do find that interesting. Like the, like the assassination of Jesse James, obviously where it's like, they're aware of their own legend. Right. And it's how much they buy into it. That can mm-hmm. kind of inform where they go from there. And like Jesse James is a guy who, you know, he knew the reputation that he had. Wyatt mm-hmm. Earp was the same way also. Um, and Wyatt Earp had a huge ego. Uh, which is not conveyed in a lot of the wider movies that have been made. Uh, so it's you know something like this of Little Bill, who was a guy that clearly has a history. It it tracks that he would be like, yeah, why isn't there a story written about me? Like that makes a lot of sense. I think we suspect at this point that most that in the West, if you could shoot a guy by shoot him in the liver and running away, you'd probably do it, as opposed to standing face to face in the street. If there's no law we know men will probably just sneak off a shot and run away and do, which is what they say that I think what they say that the, he tell him that English Bob walked up to a guy on arm and shut him right in the liver. Mm-hmm. Well, no, there's like a whole bunch of like mishaps that happened for him to kill that guy. He should have been like dead instantly. Right. And that's the, well, yeah. And the counter is, is, is money, right. Saying it's a hell of a thing, killing a man. Right. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And that's, that's the whole that's why the, the Schofield kid thing is like it rings true as we get through it as far as where his arc is, as far as I don't want to be this guy. <laughs> like this sucks. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. kill people. This is terrible. <laughs> what the movie does engage with the question, is that what Kalise would just is in this movie? Is he just a killer? And if that's the case, what's he supposed to do? You know, the world needs killers and he's a killer. Back to Freeman for a second. Yeah, after this, then yeah, you got Shawshank. Outbreak in seven in the same year. I mean, that's you know, those are giant box office hits. I mean, so you got a lot going for him. They can just do whatever, like which he does. Like he could be, he could be authority figures. He could be co-lead. He could be the lead. The president of the United president States. of the United States. We're at that point. You're like, well, of course he would be president <laughs> of the United States. And America's like, yeah, but we shouldn't do that for real for a while. Um, <laughs> he could be the highly coveted role of Alex Cross. Yeah, never cross Alex Cross twice. God. For God's sake. Yeah, he was, he, and it's like that's the yeah that's appropriate. There's plenty of people that can play the devil. Only one guy can play God. It's working for him. He could play the devil too if he needed to. He could if he wanted to. I'm yep. just saying, like, lots of actors have played the devil. Not many have played God. Has anyone played both God and the devil in different movies? That's a question for another time. Bobby Freeman eventually. <laughs> yeah. De Niro never played God. Hoffman never played God. Chino. Some of these guys have played like like angels or like ethereal things, but yeah, I don't think they've ever none of them played like God. A lot of guys have played Satan. Yeah, no, Satan because that's because that's like that's that'd be the more interesting role, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Mm. Lewis Cipher from Angel Heart. Yeah. <laughs> this movie takes its time and they're still not in Big Whiskey. Uh, you know, it, it works. That's a Western. It works so it's it's got to be, it's got to be deliberately paced. Yeah. Okay. There is. There's one actor on record that has played God and the devil. Oh, George Burns. Max von Sydow. 
Oh. Uh, Max von Sydow played the devil in Needful Things, and he played yeah. Jesus, right? But doesn't yeah. oh, George Burns play God and the devil in Oh God, You Devil? Hmm. Otherwise known as Oh God 3. I passed on that set. <laughs> I would have. I would have. Yeah. The first one's okay. I didn't know there was three. There were three, and the second one's real preachy. The third one's not bad, but the first one's Carl Reiner. It's, you know, surprisingly good John uh, Denver playing the lead for some reason. Max von Sydow, yeah. Hmm. Greatest story ever told. Is this where he was going to get, like, sick for, like, the rest of the movie? He gets a cold in the, yeah. because they're riding in the rain, right? Yep. So he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor, this poor son of a bitch has got a terrible cold. It was real rain too, not CG. Really? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. He's been laughing. <laughs> <laughs> real, real stretch for this time. <laughs> now Ruben is out of the cell, of course, and he's just writing the novel. <laughs> yeah, he's Jackman playing in the back like a like the therapist couch. You know, this movie doesn't have any jokes, but that's that's a fun like sight. Gag. All the stuff about Hackman building the house and being a terrible carpenter is great. Are great. Yeah. You know, but those are those are like bits or like like little like this is like a we're cutting back and now he's out of the cell. Like that's that's a that's a that's a punchline. Punchline <laughs> gag. Yeah. Little Bill. We're going to talk about since this movie, how many truly significant westerns have there been that are actually period westerns? Uh, Seraphim Ser- Ser- Falls, um. <laughs> Texas Rangers, American Outlaws. <laughs> what well, is the one with uh, James Vanderbeek? That's Texas Rangers. Oh, is it Texas Rangers? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Like uh, Deadwood on television is a major on television. Western. I mean, you could argue against it, but people do like Tombstone, Yancey. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not an insignificant Western. People do like it, and I, I didn't think Wyatt Earp was bad. I thought it was an interesting movie. Uh, the Alex cast in Wyatt Earp. The Long. Three ten to, <laughs> the three ten to Yuma. Three ten to. I mean, do? I I love it. That's one of my favorite movies. Is it is it a standout? I don't know if it gets that amount of acclaim, but it fucking stands out to me. I'll say that. Yeah. He'll be back. Um, I mean, we get the Neos, right? We get the Neo, like, because I meant, like, Country for Old Men, there will be blood and, like, the same. And there will be blood. Not so much a Western. It's just more of period. Yeah. Uh, I mean, television-wise, I would consider just uh, Justified a modern Western. Justified's a modern one, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, Brokeback Mountain. Uh, let's see. We talked quick in the dead, but that would be more like a cult movie than I would be. I'd say it's a big hit. Um, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to think of ones that are like significant. There's, a, like, there's uh, plenty of ones that stand out as far as these are good movies. Of Jesse James. That's a great movie. Yeah, I think I think it, it with time that's going to stand out. I, I can I can agree there. I, I think like. Yeah, as the as the years as decades go by and we look back at where westerns have been, I think that will stand out as one that like really meant something. Mm-hmm. 
And that was a big because that was no country and uh, pretend to were all that same year. If I'm not saying like it was a huge mm-hmm. year for Westerns. I mean, the fact of the matter is people don't fantasize about the old West anymore. So it's not really going to be the running concern for B movies and action movies. Because mm-hmm. like the genre of all that's the other like I mentioned, because I, I do think like Unforgiven like was the end of an era. I, yeah. I think it really brought to a close oh. like stuff before you you, know, you kind of that like I mentioned you dally a while and more pop culture type westerns with more like mainstream stuff with with Tombstone with Quick and the Dead things are like that are throwaway but they're not like you know they're not Revenant, adding they're not oh, adding to the genre but then you get to like I was saying you get to the 2000s and on where like mid 2000s you can start to get the neo westerns right, like that really right. starts to become more of a thing that like right, just like noir it's a, it's almost a new cycle it's not really connected mm-hmm. to the old cycle you right. know. We're talking about now it's movies made by people who sort of get an idea of what Westerns were, but aren't as deeply like marinated in them as the seventies generation. But you get things that you get things that are using tropes and using aesthetics and things, but are set in a modern period, or at least at a, you know, a period that's, you know, it's not, it's not Hawks. It's not Ford. Like it's, it's, it's Mm -hmm. own thing that feels of the now. So you get like the TV shows, like you mentioned, you get justified, even like kill bill. Uh, Like you you have things that are very much informed by the past. Hateful Eight, yeah. I I had forgotten the title of this one. I was, couldn't think of my head, but uh, Appaloosa was pretty well received when it came out, wasn't <laughs> it? Was it? I, movie, I do like Appaloosa. Yeah. I mean, it's a good friendship to... western, aren't they? Like buddies and him and Vigo. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. Yeah, it's Ed Harris and Vigo. They're just like pals and they get involved in shit. He falls, Ed Harris falls in love and, and Vigo kind of helps him out even though he knows he's losing a pal. Yeah. So it's a good movie. Aaron I mean, probably much, loves Open Range. I was gonna, I was, I was gonna say, as much as I'm not a Costner fan, Open Range is maybe my favorite Kevin Costner movie. Like, I think it's fantastic, and it has one of the best Bold shootouts. It, it, it has one of the. <laughs> we're talking about Open Range. Oh, God, you can challenge me with Costner right now. I, I think, I think that's one of the best shootouts I've ever seen in a western. I that ending shootout of Open Range is is fantastic. And yeah, Robert Duvall is a really big part of that. Also, he's great in that movie. <laughs> he's a big western guy. Like he. Definitely likes producing. Yeah, those tales. Is one of the great westerns, even if it's made for television. That's that's probably my favorite Duval performance. Mm-hmm. Lonesome Dove, Tommy Lee Jones also. Um, and then there was the ballad of uh, Buster Scruggs, which is a great. Oh yeah, yeah. Need you know. to home video yeah, we're release. Just, please. We're just we're just naming westerns. Like I, I, there are I really... too many that, that that I would say are. If those are ones that I think. I mean, at the time. Mm-hmm. When they came out, I'm not saying like they were giant successes, but they were notable in the film circles of check this one out or this one's mm-hmm. got, you know, because we don't get to we don't get as many. So none of them are going to be this like unforgiven type for but, sure. And and obviously hindsight 20. So I, I can't like say this is what's going to stand up. This is what's not going to. But I do mm-hmm. think like as much as as, a, as much a claim as some of these gets, they're not all necessarily going to be standouts like decades from now or something like Jesse James. Just because of like that cinematography, and because be of the, how, it, how it plays with iconicism, like I do think that makes it like a standout in that way. Where you know a very good movie, not necessarily the same, Django, I think could have that kind of effect over time, just because of what it's dealing with. Like how many yeah. westerns do you have of a black star that's dealing directly with slavery? Not many. I mean, there's just like there, there's something there. And like, like no, and no country again with like being what it is. I think that has a lot to go going for it. With the Taylor Sheridan certainly trying to carve out a space, it's like a western, like a modern western guy of Hell or High Water and uh, Wind mm, River, yeah. and uh, his Yellowstone show obviously is like a thing with Kevin Costner in it. 
Yeah. Uh, Logan Yancey, you love your Logan, right? That's that's a secretly that's a Western. Secret, secretly a Western. <laughs> <laughs> right there, when when Bill's leaving, he drops the accent. Now he's just like Cockney. Like it's such a great like. It's, it's not even it's not even real. It's not even real accent that he has. It's all fake, all image. And then yeah, we're here with with Francis Fisher. And like you just see the, you know, the weight of this like injustice they've dealt with is going to continue not being dealt with because little Bill's such an asshole that he won't let any justice happen. All right, you guys can help me now. This guy, the guy who plays the owner of the bar, or, uh-huh. or he died recently, he passed away. He's been uh-huh. in a lot of movies. I know he was in the Naked Gun too. He gets he gets exploded. Leslie Nielsen puts like a a, a fire hose in his mouth and he, Skinny Dubois. Is that his name in this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I just found it. Anthony James. What else was he's this? Is his be last like movie. Or something. This is his last movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Final film role. But he died last year. Yeah. His last yeah. movie, but he. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, he just he died from cancer last year. Um, like, we but, aren't doing any better than Unforgiven. Yeah, he's, he's like, well, it's been, it's been nice knowing you guys. I'm out of here. I finally starred in a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, he's in High Plains Drifter, he's in Vanishing Point. He's in, he heat of the, in the heat of the night. Is he a serial killer or anything? I don't know. Um, was he in any horror movies? He yeah, was in, in the, V, the TV he, series. I bet he played an alien. He's in, in the heat of the night. He's in... Uh, what else? Return from Witch Mountain. Yeah he's, one of the, yeah, he's one of the bad guys in High Plains Drifter, which I saw recently. That makes sense. He did seven episodes of Gunsmoke, with pre- which prepped him for this. The best episodes. I don't know. I, I mean, without doing further research, I can't tell if he's played significantly like some, you know, some serial killer. Are you convinced he has? I don't know. I'm just trying. I, I know when he, when he passed are, away. Are you, are you sure? You, are you not thinking of Tom Noonan? Not thinking of Tom Noonan <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, this guy never. I don't think this guy ever directed movies. Now we're just watching it. So what else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where's uh, where's where's Saul Rubinick after this? Well, he has true romance, obviously. Right. He's in Death Wish Five, the best one. This is the movie that he'll be. What was he before? This is the question. Where did Rubinick come from? Is he in like Paul Mazursky movies or something? It's a mix of TV and movies. He uh, also was in Buster Scruggs, wasn't he? In the last segment of Buster Scruggs. He is in the last segment of Buster Scruggs. Returning yes. to the Western genre. I mean, he looks like Elliot Gould's chunky cousin. Like That's how I've always kind of regarded him, honestly. It's like, if you can't get Elliot Gould, you get Saul Rubin. <laughs> Elliot Gould's a lot more handsome than Saul. That's what I said. It's his chunky cousin. He's chunky cousin, yeah. You can't get Elliot Gould. Just go ahead and get like a, a non a non. And, and when I when I when I say that, I think more like later Elliot Gould. Like yes, like seventies oh, Elliot. Bugs Gould. the Elliot Gould. You mean? Yeah. All right. You're right. Seventies Elliot Gould is a heartthrob. I get that. Can't can't get enough Gould. Get get all the gold to Gould. I get it. Him and Sutherland. Put them together. Plays the sniveling too much for me. He snivels a bit too much on screen. That, no, that's his thing. I mean, that's why he's always a character actor, not a lead like Elliot Gould. <laughs> like, that's, that's the that's the difference. So get this. After this, Saul Rubinick goes on to star on an episode of a TV show called Matrix, which starred Carrie Ann Moss. 
I didn't know she. I didn't know she was in a show called called Matrix. I didn't know that, but I didn't know that Saul Rubinick was the. And the, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in it as Blind Man. Oh, so he's reprising yeah. his he was reprising his Game of Death character. Yes. <laughs> he was also in Driving Miss Daisy, the TV movie, though. Was that before or after the same the year? Same, same year. What? <laughs> yep. He's like Morgan. Funny story. You should turn on the tube tonight. Just a hot property, <laughs> guys. This is driving his daisy thing. Do they try it to? It's funny. People think now, like certain movies into TV shows, is like, oh my gosh, they they've been doing it for a long time. Like Oscar-winning oh, yeah. movies <laughs> always, always got TV shows. Like, like there was like Ferris Bueller, the TV show. There's A League of Their Own, the TV show. There's, I mean, everything was getting it. Uh, like Breaking Away had a TV show. Fargo had yeah, a TV show before it had a TV chase, show. Paper Chase was a TV show for years. Yeah, and the thing is, in order, the funny thing is, in order, to in the heat of the night, in the heat of the night, ran for like ever. And in the heat of the night has two sequels that had a the TV show that ran forever. Right. In the heat of the night was a franchise. <laughs> Bring it back. Yeah, see, now we're in the period where like Clint Eastwood was just miserable and cold the horse, the right. movie, which is so sad. <laughs> but it gives such good looks because it's all like it plays with the shadow of his hat so much. So it's so like every every time he glances, it's informed by something. About to get an English Bob beatdown. That's this is something I really like too about like modern westerns. They incorporate like how much it sucks to be in a town when it's raining. Yeah, like Open Range does Open that. Range does that too, where it's like, it's like you can't just walk into town. It's fucking muddy. It's, you gotta yeah. like, you gotta get on the sides of every building and like, you have to like build bridges across with boards. It sucks when it's raining because it's the There's desert. Not. It's the desert. So you're not expecting rain all that often. So what it does is like, oh God, it's raining. This is terrible. It's going to mess up a whole vibe. Yeah, you would think Morgan Freeman would be like, I'm not riding horseback to Wyoming. We're going to get colds, all of us. <laughs> That's a miserable, man, to be sleeping by a fireplace with a cold. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and here comes Hagwin. <laughs> I will say this. So I always think of this 91-92 as the era when the Oscars got really cool and gave their best picture winners to a feminist serial killer movie and a, and a really dark revenge revisionist western and then they immediately took it all back and gave it to epics for the rest of the time <laughs> he did they were right <laughs> for a few seconds there they were like under two hour we're basically right around two hour movie i mean how can you not give schindler's list the oscar for the next year and then yeah. it's back to epics yeah that it's, it's schindler's list english patient braveheart or titanic or all these epics yep. this is one of the but then at the end they're like what well, this avant-garde thing from sam Mendes seems pretty neat so let's go with that direction well, you would never say this was Oscar bait, nor would you say Silence of the Lambs. Well, it's a Western. Like, Westerns don't win, except they oh. just did. It was Dances with Wolves happened. But even then, that's like an epic. That's a that's like a, he's trying to make a curse yeah, out or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's his own thing. <laughs> and, then, you know, we just got out of the 80s, which is a lot of like standard prestige stuff. It's not like they're bad movies, but still, it's just like there's a well, Drive Miss Daisy, but there's <laughs> the tone is decidedly different from the 70s. Interesting. Yeah, you still got the same craftsmen working because they're working in movies, but now you're back to having the big corporations own the studios and clamping down on content. But now, when you look back at the 80s and the 90s, you're still seeing 
the people who were around in, in, in that new Hollywood era. I, I think the movies become more interesting when you, when you, when you look at it in that light, because they're still trying to smuggle in meaningful stuff. I mean, not for nothing, but the past 10 years of Oscars have been relatively cool as well as far as the types of things that are winning. You only have one or two typical Oscar bait movies versus a movie about a, you know, a woman having sex with a fish monster. I mean, there's like, it's like, it's... we've gone and rebelled so much against the typical Oscar bait movie now that those movies never get to win again. And I would say that there's a reason those kind of movies used to win and I kind of miss them. And, and they're working so hard to give things like Shape of Water, Best Picture, that I think just because it's harder to tell you what Oscar bait is doesn't make the process any less rigged or controllable. I, you know, I, I well, at that, at that point in time, shape of water was like one of the more conventional nominees of that bunch. Cause you, between that, it's like, it's call me by your name, get out lady bird, phantom thread, three billboards. It's like, these are weird movies too. Like it's, it's not, it's movie not, that's not aimed at teenagers as Oscar bait these days. I mean, No Man Lad would have been a weird indie movie in the 90s, and it wouldn't have been Best Picture. It wouldn't have had to be, you know. No Man Lad getting like a screenplay uh, uh, nomination. Yeah, would have been yeah. or Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Actor. Well, also, it would just be made differently at that point, too. Like, so it'd fit a different... You'd have actors, basically. You'd have, it'd be a movie that's cast with, with actual actors and not like a kind of guerrilla filmmaking that happens to have Francis McDormand in it. Yeah, I think 90s they were doing stuff like that. Or it wouldn't have yeah, I was had Francis, it wouldn't have had Francis McDormand in it. It would have been grill filmmaking and not had her. Well yeah, if it did yeah, if it if it did if it didn't have a star in it, then it'd just be a straight up indie and yes, it'd get yeah, that screenplay yeah. nomination or yeah. cinematography nomination, nothing. Right. Otherwise, Francis McDormand, Fran McDee, who at that, you know, at the point of Fargo, she's already had like a couple of Oscar nominations. <laughs> like it's yeah. She's she's uh she's she's quietly the the uh the other Meryl like yeah she's loudly yeah. the other Meryl in my she's <laughs> consistently good and great well, I mean like I mean, she's in something she's I know yeah she's not as, now yeah, like that's pretty yeah. much how she's been but people always pointed at Meryl but I'm like Francis has gotten it up been that way too she's, she's been consistently nominated for decades at this point right. So. <laughs> Morgan Freeman's got to get his rocks off. Mm-hmm. I do like, like, you know, especially after driving Miss Daisy, the fact that he, and, you know, given now what we would see if you cast Morgan Freeman in a role like this, there would be the trope. There would be a magical Negro element or there'd be some kind of like, you know, he's, he's above doing anything below board here. Right. He's playing, a, he's playing a human, right? He's married, mm-hmm. but he's at a, he's at a place where there's prostitutes. Like, all right, I guess I'll get down with this for a bit. Like it's, He's he's really he's makes flawed. me wonder whether it was written specifically for a black actor or not. Because right. area codes, man. Yeah, no, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think Eastwood really considered that. I, 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 I certainly, you know, by the time Morgan Freeman's coming for this part, he's probably thinking, "Oh, interesting." But I don't think he's looking at thinking, mm, "I need to have a white man or I need to have a black man." It's just like oh, I'll get somebody that fits the role. And it doesn't feel like the script changed any. Like it, it doesn't need to. It doesn't need I've to. I've been wondering it. whether in the usually would have delineated back then if you if you were picturing a black. I think not having written for a black actor allows the mm-hmm. character to do some of these things that are more human, which is interesting. Yeah, it doesn't. It. I will say the fact that he is black. I do. I do think informs the way Little Bill gets to him. 
Oh, sure. um, I, like the way he treats him at that point, you know, stri- you know, not just kills him, but strips him and humiliates him. That <laughs> that that's a lot. That's a lot weightier by having a black actor being oh. there as opposed to just, you know, just having. I don't know, Burt Reynolds, whatever, oh. some, whatever white, whatever white guy would have fit this part at this time. Right, right. Who would, who would the white, who would it be? Who would you think it would be if he had it's to cast a white Booth. actor? It would be Powers Booth. Powers Booth is too. He'd, he'd be Little Bill's like supported mm. it. Well, could have been Michael, Michael Manson. He's too young. He's too young. Uh, he's he's still in Thumb and Louise. Like I'm kind of cool mode. Who's, 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 who's who would it be? Who's the who's the white actor that would fit this, this vibe? part in 1992? Duvall? Maybe. Yeah, mm. maybe. Tommy Lee's still a little young for this. Yeah, he could have pulled. No, it Tommy off. Lee could have. Yeah, I mean he's curmudgeon. Well, he's also curmudgeon. I don't think he he like is tough. You know, him playing a best friend to a lead—that's Rolling Thunder, right? That's not going to be him. Donald Sutherland playing, like, could have been his part. Donald Sutherland could have been. Sutherland's him. interesting. That yeah, yeah. that's not Garner. Right? Yeah, James, James Garner. Garner. Yeah, James Garner. Garner comes in. Yeah. yeah, Coburn for that matter. Coburn's, Coburn's older old. though. He's pretty yeah. old. Yeah. Sutherland's a good in Duvall. I think those are good areas to be in. I think as far as making that work. I mean, if he so wasn't so big, then he would have would have worked. But that'd be fun to delightfully plump Dennehy walking around in this role. Brimley, too old, I guess. <laughs> I'm all right now. Yeah, you couldn't. I, yeah. I, just, I just watched the thing last week. <laughs> Ah, Firmly on the mic. Good to be last week. Here's that shot. Yeah, team with Burt Reynolds shot. again, maybe. I said Burt to begin with. I mean, yeah. Oh, did you say Burt? I'm sorry. Yes. That's how I got this kicked off. Like, with yeah, Burt Reynolds. I, lo- I got lost in thinking of who. <laughs> who would this be? <laughs> yeah, this is a great shot. This is a great looking movie. I don't think. I mean, I think we already said it, but I mean, it, it really does look fantastic. Um, because yes, Brandon, it's all Atlanta, and they CG'd it, so of course it will. But yeah, no, it's real locations. No, it looks, looks the, great. Yeah, the little uh, neck thing around it, that's on. That's actually he's actually wearing that. Now, there's a question: If Marvel <laughs> aren't made Two Gun Kid or the Rawhide Kid right now, those are Marvel Comics cowboy characters. Could MCU pull off the Rawhide Kid or the Two Gun Kid and I, sell them as big movies? I, I wouldn't bet against it. I'll put it that I way. Neither. I, I wouldn't I have either. No, I have no well, reason to think that. Westerns would be cool if it's Marvel. Yeah. yeah right. and, and, people be, and people have been watching them for years, and they know all about them. It's one of the best <laughs> Westerns ever made. They, I read yeah. like eight Wikipedia pages, man. I know all about it. Have you heard? Did you, do you know who really shot Liberty West? Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me I've balance. Been, I've, I've, been, I've been reading Rawhead whatever kid for, <laughs> for years, man. I know all about him. Like, have you heard about John Wayne? The director oh, said that they were inspired by this, so I know about that. Yeah, uh, Jack and Green cinematography here. He's done a lot. He did most of, like, all of, almost all of uh, his 80s output. And then, like, some into the, a little bit into the 90s. Actually, no, mostly through the 90s. Look at those now. Is he the guy that he let him direct in uh, Trouble with the Curb? Or is that somebody else? No, that's Joel Cox, isn't it? Isn't it uh, his editor? Oh, is it? Okay. He always gave... Uh, Chances to his. Did I make that up? I think I thought it was Joel Cox. Hold on, let me see. I know it's one of his guys for sure. Yeah. Uh, a movie that you like. 
Which movie? Did you have Trouble with the Curve? I like Trouble with the Curve. It's a good movie. I know. Yeah, it's a movie. What's wrong with Trouble with the Curve? <laughs> nice little movie. It's not insulting. It's just, um, you know, it's not good. It's not, it's not, it's it is insulting. good. It's good. <laughs> I like the late Cleary Quinney's performance. He's good in it. Robert Lorenz. There we go. Yeah. He's his uh, producer. He's his producer for a lot of movies. He produced his 2000s run from Bloodwork onward. Right. Did Joel Cox edit it? Yeah, Joel Cox edited it. Okay, so he's still involved. Yeah, he still had like all his guys on it. This one won best editing too. For... This did, yeah, this won four Oscars. It won mm-hmm. uh, best editing, supporting actor, uh, director, and picture. Yep, and one nominated of, for nine. Yeah, it's the screenplay. I assume like art direction, Eastwood, cinematography, cinematography. Was the score nominated? Uh, the score, which Clint Eastwood wrote. Yes, he wrote. He wrote the theme. Or, no, he wrote the. Th- Art direction. No, no. Best sound, not score. Yeah, okay. He wrote, yeah, he wrote the theme to the like the oh, main okay. theme of the yeah, movie, but, theme. The, okay. but, the, but the score is by like his main, his jazzy guy that does like a lot of his movies. What's his name? I just had this. The Jazz Man. The Jazz Man, yeah. Bird. <laughs> uh, Lenny Niehaus. There we go. Yeah, Lenny Niehaus. I've never seen Bird. One of the ones I've, I've never seen Bird either, and I love Forrest Whitaker. So I'm like, why have I not seen Bird? <laughs> it's probably great. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably his top three, probably top three movies. I've never, seen Bird. Bird. I've never seen White Hunter Black Heart, which everyone says is pretty good too. Which ones? I don't even. Which one's that? It's one where he's sort of playing John Huston a little bit. He's playing like a movie director who wants to kill an elephant in Africa. And like, why have I not seen this movie? You've sold me right away. I've never <laughs> seen it. White Hunter Black Heart. Yeah. White Hunter Black Heart. Yeah. When did that go? Is that an 80s one or a 70s one? That's probably 90 or something. It's right around. Maybe what, 90? Yeah, you're right. White Hunter, like, same year as The Rookie. He had a busy, he, he pulled a, he pulled a Spielberg that year. It's like, I got to get these two out. This poster is fantastic. It's just it's him like with a cigarette in his mouth. There's an yeah. elephant on the side. <laughs> yeah. One Jeff Fahey's in it? Jeff Fahey, yeah. It's the Afri- I think it's The African Queen is the movie where John Houston apparently wanted to bag an elephant or something hmm. that sounds like john houston <laughs> yeah 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 that shot was great let's wrap early i, got, I heard there was an elephant over there. An elephant. <laughs> i got a bottle with my name on it so the the golden globes thought scent of a woman was a better picture than unforgiven and uh the baptist thought howard's end was golden globes didn't do comedy and drama two different it was drama like yeah best most picture drama uh and best uh BAFTA's just best film. I like Son of a Woman. It's not like it's a bad picture. It's just in this when you look at a year like this where you have Unforgiven and Malcolm X among among others, yeah, yeah. and it's like Al Pacino, who's you know, has a filmography that's ridiculous at that point and, and he hasn't won an Oscar, and they're like, I mean, yeah, he plays a blind guy that yells ooh a lot and he dances a little, so that's nice, right? Oscar. In the same year that he's like doing, in the same year he has Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and a year after he's done Dick Tracy, which got him an Academy Award. Also, they're like, who are you know? Oh, it was a comeback. He had, had a bad late eighties. He had a bad late eighties, but like, and, and yeah, this is the this is the prestige lead performance that he's playing a blind guy. So yeah, I get that you're going to give him the up. It's it's just like really good. in that movie. Look at the stuff around, look at the people around him that are doing great things. It is, but I see that's not a bad movie. It gets a bad rap because it won. 
think it's a bad rap because have you ever watched that movie? I mean, it's it's a bunch of times. Chris O'Donnell gets in like some trouble and he's like, I gotta go to my to this blind guy to like team around with him and for a few days and go back to do this over the top court case. This over the top court case at the end of with Philip Seymour Hoffman sitting there like, I'm just a rich kid. Don't blame me. It's Chris O'Donnell's fault. It's one of those movies that gets a bad rap because it won an Oscar. It happens. It's certainly better than average. A lot of good stuff. We're talking over this, obviously, but there's a lot of good stuff here of just Clint like reflecting on things and talking to Amanda Thompson's character. Uh, I guess if I did want to, yeah, it's such a sad scene. She offers him yeah. free. Yeah. He's like, well, if I did, it would be with you, but you know, you see that he's hanging on to the memory of this wife, you know, and mm-hmm. you know that by the end he's gonna just be William Money again, evil, scary killer. Well, I like when she takes it to the other prostitutes and Francis Fisher's like, ah, oh, wife, blah. She's probably dead or whatever. She knows. Yeah. yeah. Nice shot. Yeah. So that's a split. That's a split diopter right there. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. We should ring a bell or something. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's convincingly ugly in this Clint Eastwood. Traditionally, he, he wears the scowl a lot in this movie. Like he really goes for it. Yeah, he's really. He's scowl- got the hat over his eyes. He's scowling. Yeah. The 4K cover is like, let's get the biggest scowl we can yeah. for this thing. <laughs> they do a good job, like making her look cut, and like she'd be oh, yeah. like her vanity would be harmed by this. Mm-hmm. Like compare that to like Ready Player One, the seemingly the go-to example with like Olivia Cook, who has like this. This horrendous like birthmark on her face that's supposed to be horrible, and it's like that—that's the problem. Like, okay. Mm. Well, this girl isn't afforded. it. She's not in the wrong time and place. She can't have an avatar to hide. <laughs> Obviously, there's not a lot of like action in this movie because it's not really that kind of movie. But mm-hmm. we get like, what do we get? Like maybe like three scenes of action, kind of total, yeah. which is amounts to like the shootouts of these guys, and then the end. We get lots of tension. It's like yeah, it's a real, it's a real builder of a film. Which I mean, even then, like looking at westerns, like westerns aren't exactly built off of having multiple action scenes throughout them. Like it's all about. I mean, they've got the stereotype of pow, 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 but there's much more to them than that. And that more than comes, know, mainly comes from the TV complete. shows that would have a shit yeah, every week. Exactly. You have to <laughs> do a bunch of build up to the you, you start off of an action scene to set up who the bad guy is. Then you have a lot of people talk about it for, until then you get to the final 20 minutes when there's a duel and then, and then it's over. Where something like High Noon is all about the build up <laughs> to the end yeah. or shame. Oh, good. Or the searchers. Searchers has a lot of action. Yeah. Stagecoach is all action. <laughs> what is there? A moving council. This is a great moment for Morgan Freeman right here. Yeah. Where he well, just then, he got like Hel- he can't do it. Hello Dolly is nothing but a bloodbath. So. Yeah, hello, yeah. Hello Dolly and, and Paint Your Wagon with Blood is the subtitle that they click off the post. Yeah. Yeah. 
wouldn't it be wild if Lee Van Cleef was still alive and so he got oh him my for this part? <laughs> Who died like relatively young, right? Lee Van Cleef. Like it wasn't like he was super old. If I'm not mistaken. The Master was his show. The last big thing he yep. did was in the 80s. And he was a. He must have been like a yeah smoker or something. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, 1989. Yeah, no, his skin was made of leather. So yes, he was a smoker. <laughs> heavy smoker, heavy drinker. Like that's. What do you want from Lee Van Cleef? I know. Yeah. No, he's bad. Those guys are legends. There is a book I want to check out uh, based on like heavy drinking actors and stories about them. About their heavy like drinking, the, with like Peter guy. O'Toole and stuff. Yeah. Oh, Richard Bogart. Harris, another one. Yeah. yeah. Harris, another one of those guys. Bogart. <laughs> Isn't Lee Van Cleef like the first thing you see in High Noon? I think he is like young Lee Van Cleef, like sitting on a rock. Just happens to be the very first shot of High Yeah, Noon. he is. Yeah, he's one of the, one of the thugs yeah. in, in that movie. Yeah. Lee Marvin died like a while before, right? He died. The eighties, like late eighties, but he was even older than Clint Van Cleef at that point. I'd say. So. Marvin died in nineteen eighty-seven at the age of sixty-three. He was like, "Oh, so they're okay, beat you to it, Van Cleef." They're relatively close then. Okay. His Seems IMDb like photo has him with a cigarette in hand. Just be like, "Yep." Lee Marvin, but he wouldn't be like a best friend. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> He'd be like, "I want a little bill or nothing." Franco Nero, Clint Eastwood. Delta Force? He might have done it. <laughs> Chuck Norris's buddy in the Delta Force. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean, in terms of is he able to play a friend? Sure. Is he able to play like the warm friend in Unforgiven? I don't really buy that. Eli Wallach's still alive, but so old. It would have been very odd. And he'd be like whistling the whole time also. He'd be like, stop mm-hmm. it. Stop doing this. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a fun affectation. This is like we're—I mean, we can't, you know, we're. This is audio, but like, this is all about this guy begging for his life. It's like really right. good. It's like it's, it's, it's really—it's just dealing with like death. The nicer guys. of the two bad guys. Yeah, the the <laughs> one that tried to give a, her a pony, like because they were they were demanded to bring a a certain number of horses to the the barkeep, right? Um, and then he brought one especially for her to do whatever because he felt bad stuff but the the lead prostitute was like wait well, taking your shit right so we almost feel bad for this guy yeah he he did have some it, sort of it, it make he had a more of a conscious than the other one but it yeah. makes it it makes it more more uh complicated than just like we got to kill these guys like it's like yeah. okay so we didn't get in the one shot now we have to deal with the fact that this guy's dying <laughs> and right. none of us like this this is not you know how the west was won right now this is us being older and reflective and these other guys, they're just assholes. They're not killers necessarily. So it's like, ah, none of this is easy. Yeah, uh, Charles Bronson was around. You don't want some ugly guy in Clint Eastwood's movie. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> second banana, nobody. Yeah. At that point, he's not playing second, yeah, that's for sure. I don't know about that money. Like, I don't want that going around. <laughs> Why is the Bronx in Wyoming? What's happening? Oh, 
Although if he walked, if he was like, if he was um, English Bob for whatever reason, like coming into town. I hear there's a bounty out there. It's his ass kicked by Gene Hackman. Nobody would believe that for a second. Did Charles Bronson just get his ass kicked by fucking Mississippi burning? Thank you. No, no more death wishes for him. Yeah. Zero stars. Wish granted. <laughs> just trying to think of like Western people that would have been. Would have fit in here like a glove. Yeah. Well, would have been, you know, notable. Well, Jimmy Stewart's still alive, so he could play like barely you know, at this yeah, time. Barely. He's in what five will goes west. He still's got another western in him before he dies. <laughs> <laughs> he could play like the town apothecary, just comes out, big warm guy. <laughs> hey everybody. I guess Woody Strode was still alive. It's all the hubbub. Woody Pretty Strode. Hard. Yeah, that means yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart was 84. <laughs> At this time, <laughs> I'm not saying he'd be the friend. I'm just saying he'd be like a, a presence in the town. Oh, as a, okay, okay. as a random cameo. <laughs> the soda shop. You better watch out for them whores. <laughs> <laughs> that little bill is over yonder. He builds a house. Oh, you remember when you blew that guy's brains out? <laughs> I don't know. Mary, tell him. Who else is around? Let's see. Hey, cut uh, that horse face off. With what's, the the, what's the rest of the cast of Magnificent Seven doing around? We mentioned Coburn and and uh, and um, <laughs> um, what's his face? Um, uh, uh, Bronson well, already. I think Chris Pratt's too young at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yul Brenner. Who we got? Is Yul Brenner alive? No, no. I think, so. I think he's dead already. The Queen's gone, obviously. Robert Vaughn. Robert Vaughn, <laughs> like he wouldn't trust him for a second. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. Uh, I mean, like Cheech Marin <laughs> could have been in this. That would have been. I mean, well, he played the he played the bartender, and they do it again in Desperado two years later. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. When this movie was, when the script was still around, uh, Coppola uh, was a possibility, and he wanted John Malkovich. Oh, uh, Malkovich heard it was bad. He's like, I don't know, thank you, and uh, that kind of fell through. Eastwood had the rights. Um, Wasn't uh, Jeremy Irons up for English Bob? Jeremy Irons was up for English Bob. Yes, which I could see. I could see that easily. Oh yeah, it's it's an easy. Yeah. He was busy. a quote from Malkovich saying that he was so glad he hadn't taken this part because yeah. he said he would have been actory schmactory or whatever, and they needed someone who brings the He's like, you would have been robbed of what Eastwood gave you. It's like <laughs> that is something I really like about Malkovich. He's very aware of like what his image seems to be. Like he he doesn't seem like he's above the <laughs> the fact that like he's regarded a certain way and he brings a certain kind of energy to films. He seems to get that. Right. Which is why she's doing more comedies. Like, he's hilarious in Burn After Reading. Like, give Malkovich more comedies. Hilarious in that. <laughs> even even the Red movies, which, you know, one's whatever and the uh, the second one's awful. It's not like he's bad in those. Like, he's doing what he's supposed well, to be doing. And even, like, Con Air, he is deliciously oh, evil. Con Air is, yeah. Like, deli- <laughs> like, is, yeah. 
He can choose. Like, I mean, in in the line of fire, he's great in that. Like, he got an Oscar nomination for being deliciously evil in that movie. Was it the next Eastwood movie, or was it Perfect World, and then that? Uh, it's a busy. They're both ninety three. It's a busy year. Yeah, they're both. Yeah, I line of fire. I think it's a summer movie because it's Peterson. Yeah, it's July. So I assume Perfect World is probably like. November or something like that. Let me see. The last time he worked with yep. another director of that level, right? Either, either he directs himself or he gets one of his buddies to direct it. But we'll oh, oh, for Eastwood? Yeah, I believe that is. I, I'm, yeah, I think that, like, you know, well, no, it's, it's what's of that level, yes. But the last movie he's in that's not him is uh, Trouble with the Curve, of course. But he produced that. He probably was going to direct it until the last second, you know? You know what? Rick Dalton would have been good in this one. Oh, yeah. Rick Dalton would have been great. Rick Dalton would have. Yeah. People say he's washed up for a while, but no, he came back. He came back. He got in those spaghetti westerns. He was great. That guy who played Johnny Madrid would have been good, too, possibly, if they couldn't get Rick Dalton. <laughs> well, uh, what's, uh, Tanner would have been good, but he tragically died, of course. Right, so. right. <laughs> it's a motorcycle accident. <laughs> Dalton Yancey, have you read the book yet? No. Okay. I get to that. You're gonna love it. There, there's some there's some sweet stuff in there. It's a yeah. very Yancey friendly book, I think. Just worried he's gonna piss me off with his opinions of like music and stuff. I don't want to hear Tarantino tell me that the day in the life is not good or whatever. Does he like, say much about music? I don't think he says much about music It's, it's, it's from the perspective of uh all the music stuff's perspective of Roman Polanski and uh Sharon. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's where most of the music. So it has to come from the the veil of that, and it's more of because Sharon's hipper than Polanski, so it's like yeah. more contra- those contrasting ideas. Regardless, that's a whole other topic. This is where we now. Now we have now available in stores coming soon in hardcover. <laughs> not not a sponsor, uh, but now Morgan Freeman's getting tortured, and I yeah no it, it the, the imagery obviously of a black man you know stripped and being whipped inside of a jail cell means a lot more than if. It's surprising he doesn't <laughs> it was, do it in front of the town because he wanted because, to well, beat up English Bob in front of everybody. But because I, because I, because this is more inhumane. I think that's a part of it. Uh, or English Bob, I, for one thing, he doesn't need the town gets it. And like if they didn't get it, him beating up English Bob recently, they definitely get it. Mm-hmm. Does he need to do it a third time in the same week or something? Like I don't think like he just beat up Will and Money also, right? Right. So now it's like, do I need to like do this again to really like people are. It, I think he's aware enough where it could tip over the edge where it's like, if I, if I do, if I keep being this horrible, people are going to like the respect I have is going to turn into nothing but fear. But I think he's convinced himself that he still has respect and he has a way of upholding a certain thing. So if he's going to strip a man naked or half naked, at least and whip him, I think, I think he, he's aware enough to know that's going to push him over, over a, a certain limit as far as what towns people can take. At least that's how I'm looking at it. I don't know. I don't know how racist this town is to be like, oh yeah, black man getting whipped, cool. Which they could be out of Lindsey Greer and Ray Milan, where they have the beast with two heads. <laughs> Most like this shot here could be yeah, it. yeah. Thing with two heads. <laughs> <laughs> this is sinister stuff too, by the way. Like this, the I way like before, yeah, he's so scary. He's yeah, a monster. Like it's not hard to see why a Hackman wins an Oscar. Like there's so many good scenes of him just just being this guy. 
He's so good, Hackman, and this guy, he's the worst. I'll and that is be a great, right back. Now that you mention it, that is a great, you know, the fact that everyone makes fun of him about this house he's building means that he does think that he's still got respect that he doesn't actually really have, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like all of this stuff is why this movie is a masterpiece. It's like it's not it's so not black and white. It's so there's yeah. so many layers to every single one of these people. Yeah. I mean, he's the biggest hard ass and his name is Little. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's. He's his, he's got a, as cool a nickname as the whatever kid this guy is. Schofield kid. Schofield yeah. kid. Yeah. Like it's not intimidating. Like little Bill. Oh. Whoop. So he's always he's overcompensating for mm-hmm. was probably years of hating that and whatever gave him that name. But he's sort of a- not taking a drink yet, right? No, because that's I'll, that scene. That's the that's that's why this is my favorite acting performance from Eastwood when he goes to drink for the first time. But uh, before that, as we mentioned, you know the, the the minimal action as we build up to things. There's a reason why it's because the action like it's well filmed. It sucks for these guys. <laughs> like they hate this. This kid's just like like he's on an he's in an outhouse. Like yeah. how humiliating for for both people involved. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> It's like this guy's dying on the toilet with his pants down. This guy's shooting an unarmed man on the toilet. Like, fuck this. Like, I hate this. Like, why would I want to be this guy that kills people like this for money? Eastwood only providing cover fire. He's not trying to hit anybody. Yeah. Is that Porkins? That's not Porkins. It's too young. (laughs) You ain't got no future, Jack. And now they've essentially <laughs> the the main thrust of this movie has ended. Yep. <laughs> they killed they mm-hmm. killed the killers. Like they're uh, the Schofield kid is he, he got the help that he needed. Thousand bucks, come on. Mm-hmm. You think Morgan Freeman is on his way home, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah they, money anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Which again, great for a, has a living wife waiting for him, which shouldn't make yes. matter. Yeah, he's a family. <laughs> he has he has, he has mm-hmm. responsibilities. You know, I mean, so does Eastwood, but. but yeah, this is the kind of movie where, where are we? We're hour 45. This movie still has 30 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've, we've ended the main story that set this whole thing off. Yeah. Act two is over. Yeah. Basically, this is a, it's a long third act. It's a pretty movie. clean cut, you know, act one, act two, act three. Structured film, but. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's why the screenplay is so good. Like mm-hmm. it, everything's laid out very cleanly. Yeah. It just the character work is so good. <laughs> you have so much to chew on. There's so many different facets to these people. Clint Eastwood's interpretation of the Schofield kid is that he kills himself after this. Oh, really? That he, that he can't handle the guilt and commit suicide. Because he just kind of go, he goes off, right? He just kind of like leaves. Yeah sad and like I don't want to do this right I'll go, I'll go back to music school <laughs> he's almost even judgmental of him for yeah being no yeah, yeah he's he's yeah. mad he's mad at William money which is yeah. like right. and I get that it's really I mean it's you know not necessarily right but it's like yeah I see where that comes from he's ra- he's enraged that like this guy he presumably looked up to uh the reality of the situation is this sucks <laughs> like, this is this yeah. is not good <laughs> like 
Yeah, killing people is an awful job that yeah. nobody wants, and this William Money guy just happens to be good at it, so that ends up determining what his life's going to be, you know? I love how, like, you know, obviously he's not playing the man with no name, he's not playing these characters specifically, but the way they describe William Money, like, you think of man with no name, Yeah. again, it's weird to say that out loud, You think, but you think of him, and when you think of that character, you're like, yeah, this guy's cool, like, he takes down, like, some, you know, bad guys occasionally or whatnot he gets into gunfights he wears a poncho it's great when you like you know adjust the angle on it and you describe this version of it that william money has like he's killed women and children he's fucking burned shit down he's killed hundreds of people and it's like this doesn't sound cool anymore it doesn't sound like a guy you'd want to hang out with right you don't want to shoot not i'll go clean east with kick go kill you hack and kick some ass buddy it's like it's dark and and yeah. thunderous and but and, they're presumably like they're the same character. You're just describing them in a different shade, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, this sounds horrible. I don't yeah. want to be with this guy that like blew up a bridge once and had people on it. Like, I don't want to hang out with that guy. Yeah, it's very. It's informed. Uh, it's kind of the next gen of uh, uh, the shootist with John Wayne. His last uh-huh. yeah. picture, which is really good. Um, Don Siegel and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, mentor, yeah. When's the start of this? When's the start of this like examining the the Western hero? I mean Leone sure doing like, it, so in in less obvious direct ways, it's more sure. of a, it gets be, becomes more of a reflection and you see it in once upon a time the West. Peck and Paul starts really getting into the groundwork of what these people are. Liberty Valance. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. that's the is, is obviously he's a John Wayne and the Searchers is a, is a, is an ambiguous character, you know. Um, oh yeah, that, I mean that this does speak to why it speaks to why the, these westerns are the classics because they have depth to the characters that are going on as far as you know things that are there. Yeah, I've said this before, but Liberty Valance is pretty much my favorite western. <laughs> it's it's my favorite of the of the, of the Ford, the non secret ones. Yeah, the non secret. <laughs> Exactly. But I I mean, between the talent involved when you have Stuart, Wayne, and um and Marvin, and just the nature of that story, I, I just think it's really com- it's really interesting. Com- I mean it's 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 a uh, you know drawing straws between a number of like spectacular movies, including this one. Uh, but I, I really like Liberty Balance a lot. You know, it's a, a West, uh, probably people don't think of a lot of the times, but uh, Western I really enjoy and cherish is was mentioned earlier, Back to the Future 3. I really think they have fun with a lot of the tropes and digging into that. And I think it should be appreciated to some degrees as a Western more than just a comedic piece of Western. Zemeckis certainly has, a. I mean, that's why he did it. He has plenty yeah. of respect for the genre. Like that's that's very apparent to me. It's 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 quite interesting to think about because basically three years after this you've got Toy Story. Which... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, real quick, is that now we're, he's he's telling him that Morgan Freeman has 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 been his die is dead, and the the expressions here on Clint's like this is just masterful right here, mm-hmm. and he's gonna take a drink, and it's just like all everything that he's like you've as you've been saying like he did um. You have to really pull it out of him to get him into back into this mode compared to some compared to little Bill. And he's just right here. It's just like it's all like 
just seething and like and just hatred and like all this stuff is just there at the surface now as he's slowly realizing that this as you mentioned yancy the man, the one man in his life who he like who he yeah. cares about is gone and not just like you know from whatever it's because he was murdered and like humiliated mm-hmm. <laughs> and he brought him along too yeah Anyway, I don't know what the why it's the there case. There it is where, always, where he gets the drink in. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's always the case that the, that the Western is used to examine the character of, of America, at least for a long time when people still thought of the West as being a sort of pure, pure version of, uh, uh, of American sort of, you know. So here he's definitely, I mean, that famous shot where he says, I've killed women and children and I'll come back and kill all you. And the lightning crashes and the American flag is behind him is the big underlining point of that. But for whatever reason, this genre has, has been used over and over. I mean, I think a big influence on Eastwood for this movie is the Oxbow incident from the 40s, maybe. It's a William it movie with Henry Fonda about a... About a uh, it's early philosophy that catch, basically catches the wrong guys and is determined to hang them. Uh, and it's a great movie, but 43. Yeah. There you go. 43. Yeah. As soon as, you know, as soon as in the forties is my darling Clementine, Westerns have gotten so complex already. My darling Clementine's great. Oh my God. <laughs> that's the why that's the wider movie right there. <laughs> Wyatt movie. Yeah, that's the, that's the greatest. All of this face acting, I just it, like this is just so like when I can all I can always remember watching this for the first time because it's like as I was realizing what this movie was doing as far as how it's like handling like Eastwood's legacy and putting that into a movie, it's see it's seeing him like just get the way he's riled up here now. It's just very apparent to me, and I'm like this is why it was one best picture. I understand this already, and I haven't seen the end yet. Yeah. And then it's all night too, right? At this point, like we're because it's the climax, but it's all like just dark. Everything at this point is just all darkness, too, right? Really, just revels in the fact that it's like okay, <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything now. We're 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 past the we're past the fun here. The kid's still with them for a bit here. I forgot this. Yeah, we'll watch this in a minute. He just passed off the he money. Gives his money to give to. Yeah. Life, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, imagine sitting in the audience watching this. I mean, Yancey, Yancey, you did, but like now it's like he's riding into town, you know, the lone gunman on a horse. What's he? And he's, his friend just was killed. He wants revenge. What's he? What's this going to be? Where's this going? <laughs> this is creepy as hell. It is. It's so like it's really it's moody. slow, like. And this reveal here too, where he just like he's he's put Freeman in a in a coffin. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. Just this slow turn as he's really seeing this stuff. The fact that they just throw a dead body in a town like like here you go, there's a dead body. It's like what? No. Yeah, America's weird. Yeah. <laughs> as far as like how the past works, the stuff that's you know relatively recent, the, no less too. It's only in the past like you know hundred couple hundred years. Very where this is going on savage primitive behavior. Uh huh. And that's who Saul Rubinek is obviously sort of playing as the guy who wants to mythologize these characters and make them into larger than life. And then he gets a shot at a he sees what a real Western guy is like at the end here by 
mm-hmm. witnessing the William Money killings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the post death conversation that he has is really good. It's yeah. like, I, how'd you know? Like, I don't know. I just and it's not even it's not even like he gets a big showdown with Hackman. Doesn't Hackman just sort of get hit in the middle of the melee? Yeah, no. This is a very this is uh, that's another thing I love about the action of this movie. It's very unflashy. It's not yeah. trying to be stylized. It's very matter of fact. That's why I like open range so much too. Yeah. Open range is very matter of fact. Also, yeah. it's like people miss yeah. a lot. People miss. Yeah, they miss. Yeah. They have to reload. It's not easy to kill somebody. People take guns like don't, multiple guns shots. Guns don't work. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, while it's not, while it's like showing how unglorious all this is, this is some of the coolest shots Eastwood's ever like looked yeah. in a movie when he's like standing here with it's, his shotgun. It's so cool. It's well, very that's reminiscent. What American movies can give you. This scene is thrilling as a revenge scene and it's nauseating as a character falling off the wagon in a big way at the same right. time. You know, it's not. It's a better version of his sudden impact. Um, uh-huh. Do you feel lucky, punk? Scene yeah. should arm yeah, himself. That's a great line. Like, you know, I'm a terrible person, and here I'm going to bring that terribleness to this room and kill everybody. You know, are you saying his line right now? Yeah, killer women, children. It's so powerful. Every, to me. Everything that walks and crawls, I've killed. I hate them. You thought this this better life, and you you pulled back into this is just so. It's a strange thing to think of as, enter- as popular entertainment, but it's such a haunting story, you know? It's one of the greatest movies ever, really. There's not a wasted moment in this movie, you know? It's no, so- no, there isn't. No, yeah, this has no fat on Eastwood's it. Eastwood's lean. I mean, like, he's not... I mean, he's one to not shy away from cutting lines, his own lines. Yeah. Less, yeah. Is, less is more. Eastwood's still... Or Hackman's still trying to... Thinks he think he's in control of the situation. Way out of the yeah. Uh, you can't kill me because I'm I don't deserve it. You know. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, it, it misfires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just wings them there so he can take yeah. care of everybody else. He's almost miraculously saved. Which and, is another interesting. Well, it's great that he does. I mean, how many times? How many filmmakers make this movie and he dies? Like, yeah, in the oh, final, wow. like he he leaves and then we see he's got a blood trail and yeah, he get mortally wounded and right. he, like go to the prostitutes and say something nice and then go off and die somewhere. Like this is just like no, he just murders everybody back left and right in this thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's bookended with the the words that screw up the screen, but. The words at the beginning build a legend on, you know, who was this guy? We don't see it, but read about it. And then where he went to become, do we believe this guy that came out right here goes and just hangs out in San Francisco? It's a very, it's unceremonious, if anything, too. It's just like, yeah, yeah, the the farm failed. So whatever, he just left. (laughs) And this is probably the thing he gets most famous for in his life is killing all these guys in this bar one night, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, it starts out, rumor has it, this wild man settled down with this woman and he's on this farm and it ends with rumor has it this wild man went to here to settle why this woman would ever be interested it's so sad yep yep still says it yeah there's i'm shot (laughs) (laughs) you ain't shot (laughs) 
but it's like the mood of like it's so you know it's 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 natural light or at least trying to resemble that like there's nothing here to glamorize like this sequence it's just a a bar full of people that just got shot by Eastwood and it's dingy and it's raining outside. Oh, no romance. Not, but yeah, exactly. There's no romanticism here. At all. There's not the old West. <laughs> There's a place where people died. It was an ugly, muddy time when there weren't enough, there weren't any authority mm. figures. So it was just murder and, yeah. And you wonder what happens to this poor guy. What does he, does he get his kids? Where does he go? You know? I guess the kids stay with the wife, right? With uh, Freeman's wife, is that what he says? Yeah. Sad. Yeah, here it is. Who'd you kill first? Uh, he just, you know, it was everything. <laughs> Which leads into Yancy, you kind of thought that he's a little dim here. It's like, I don't think that far ahead. I just kind of pull my yeah. gun out and shoot him. <laughs> like, it's like, it works. It works. I was lucky in the order. <laughs> That's a great line, too. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky in the order. <laughs> it's lucky in the order. <laughs> it's so asking too many questions. I'm going to kill you after all. Is he basically giving that idea? Like, fuck, screw off, guy. And this final confrontation between him and Hackman, just wonderful. Also, this, this, these lines, like, I'm not supposed to die like this. I'm supposed to I'm building a house. Building a house. Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> There's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, there's not gonna be an open casket for this fucking guy either. <laughs> and who would come anyway, right? Nobody likes him. Well, he doesn't yeah. have a fa- he doesn't have a family. Which is telling. We didn't notice that, but like he doesn't have a family, right? He's just little Bill. He doesn't have anybody. What a challenge to a moviegoer also. Like you're sitting here thinking you want Clint Eastwood to get revenge. He killed Morgan Freeman. Nobody wants to see Morgan Freeman die. And how's he doing that? Well, he walked into a room, shot everybody. Then when Little Bill's on the ground, he just stood over him and shot him in the face. That's not glamorous. That's not really rewarding in an entertaining way. It's just like, oh, I can't. Nobody's doing high fives in the theater after this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. That was the bomb. Yeah, no, it, it was. This is bleak. Boom. Manly wit, he just looks at the barrel. He, he, he took it. <laughs> yeah. I had no doubt that Hackman. I forgot that one, the lingering yeah. death he kills right there. So it's like, let me get another one. And this is, this is great. I mean, you already mentioned it yet. Yeah, it's kind of like this thing, but this speech he's going to give right here. It's like, yeah. nobody fuck with me. Did you hear all this right here? I just did that there. I will do that to you and your families if you mess with me right now. <laughs> Burn yeah. this damn house down. <laughs> And he's scared a little bit. Yes, that's the thing. You can see it. And that's why it's such a good performance. It's a, you can see that he's scared. Like it's not just like talk, or it's not just um, you know, ego or whatever. It's it's like he's I don't like, want to get shot right ha- now. I'm right. Right. I, I just made it out of that. I do yeah. not want to get shot walking yeah. out of here. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get shot. Yeah, exactly. 
And now it's like these, you get the sense that these characters are witnessing this legendary figure momentarily in a flash of lightning. We saw William Money, you know, that night. This yeah. ghoulish mm-hmm. character of the Old West. Because yeah, these cops, these, he's been these, gone these for deputies, years and he showed up. His deputies are like, how do you, you know, how do you stab the devil in the back? He's putting on the glasses, getting a getting a look at a real Western character. Mm -hmm. That's a very nice poetic bit there. Mm -hmm. The music's good in this too. Can't hear it, but it's 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 playing it up. Eastwood's got a lot of little nice little melodies he puts in his movies. Yeah, he probably should have sang at the end of this though. Grant Arena, yeah. Unforgiven. Don't harm them whores. And it's, it's, I mean, he's a hero to an extent, but like it's shot where it's not her, you know, it's not the sunset. (laughs) You know, it's the darkness of this windy rainstorm that they're in, right? He just leaves. Savior of the horse. <laughs> I mean, what's rat. this town left with? You know, like Yeah. Oh, the town the town merges itself the next day. We can have guns back again. You know, there's no leader anymore. <laughs> like, right. Well, dead, yay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's immediately becomes Sodom and Gomorrah, like right away. <laughs> Laundry on the line. Stops home to pay respects one last time and vanishes into myth. Some years later, Mrs. Antonio Feathers made her... I'm sorry. Trying for the listeners to hear what we're seeing. Disappear with the children, yeah. Francisco... It just this just floored me at eighteen or whatever. Seeing this, this is an amazing way to end the movie. It's very seventies in that respect. We're just like, yeah, the plot's over. <laughs> like, so yeah. that's it. Like we're done. <laughs> and that's a wrap, guys. Like we get out of here. He disappeared then. Yeah. That's a nice little trick, actually. Just kind of, you know, instead of him exiting stage left, he just fades out. Him in the clothes. Like the myth. What he had when he first saw the cut of this. I wonder, the unfussy guy. I wonder if he was aware that he had made something so significant. I I imagine he has the same exact, like, very humble (laughs) reaction to any one of his movies. Like, that's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because no, like he's like. at this point, like you said, like it, you know, he's made a lot of films at this point, and he's not won an Oscar. He's even been nominated for anything at that point. By this point, yeah, no, right? Like he was gonna either. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, he, I, he was convinced, right? He was, he was like, I'm not. That's not me. I'm not the guy that wins right. awards. I like doing the job, but like, and you know, I'm obviously I'm famous, but I'm not the guy that's lining up for prestige here. So, you know, hell froze over and they're like, yeah, you know, Oscars, unforgiven. <laughs> then he, and then even after this, it's not like he's chasing it. The 2000s, he seems like he's chasing it a little bit, or at least he's just making things that kind of line up with what the Academy would want to see. But the, you know, the rest of the 90s is all me. Man. 
the rest of the night is just like still like well even bridges madison county i guess is leading into a little bit but i mean it's all still mostly b movies absolute power midnight in the garden good and evil true crime space cowboys it's not like midnight in the garden is not a b movie that's a that's a (laughs) i mean attempt to make i like it but it's an attempt to make a that's an attempt to make an oscar movie I mean, it's like a mystery thriller thing. I mean, it's more of, I, I compared 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 to true crime or absolute power. Yes, like yes, it leans yeah. more in a certain direction. But or he was a star again after this, and in the fall out of fire, suddenly he's a movie star again in a way yeah. he hadn't been in a little while. So he rides that for another ten or so years, and then he James he was all he was building up throughout the nineties. Like I'm gonna get my butt out in Space Cowboys. I need to uh, get back in shape. Makes those two Ujima movies, man. Those are just brilliant. Those movies. Uh, the, the, his World War Two double double header. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those pictures. They're just when, when him when him and Steve got together and made some movies. When Spielberg produced those, yeah, yeah, those are terrific. Those are underrated. I mean, everybody knows the second one's great, but I think Flags of Our Fathers is pretty great too. Did he produce a number? Did he produce, did he produce <laughs> Changeling? No, the Ron Howard produced chain. That was a that was a uh, Brian Grazer Howard production. Another excellent movie. That- I I really like Changing a lot, mm-hmm. and I generally yeah. say that's my, that's why that's I generally say that's my favorite Jolie performance too. It is my favorite too. He brings out the best in her in that. It's it's the best Jolie performance in the best Jolie movie. And the the actor I don't know his name offhand, but the actor that plays like the killer in that movie. Yeah, that guy's there's great. a scene where he's getting hanged, and it's like it is like one of the like best like five minute sequences of an actor like oh, yeah. just showing agony on screen that i've ever seen like it's so good she's trying to get him to admit that he killed her son and he won't do it yeah that's a great not a fun movie by the way but again he just for that that sweet spot of the next 20 or so years he really was one of the best working directors around you yeah. know and of malkovich too in changing by the way <laughs> just to bring yeah. the malkovich thing back <laughs> right malkovich is in the changeling right yeah yeah Changeling, not not the changing, of course. That's that's the movie we're still waiting for him to remake. <laughs> Get the George C. Scott of today. George C. Scott. <laughs> oh yeah, this is the '90s, so we get the cast list way at the end of the credits. Sally Two Trees, Climb Movement. I wonder who initially was in the '70s. I mean, when did he buy? Did he own this for? A decade before he made it, or something like that, right? Since like since the eighties, at least, or at the eighties, yeah. Because David Webb Peoples, he wrote it as one of his yeah. number of things. Wonder who would have gotten it in the seventies, Marlon Brando or somebody like who would have been courted. Um, John Wayne wasn't going to do this, you know. Red, Redford, too young. He's, he's young, but I mean, I, you know, after Jeremiah Johnson, I can see him yeah, trying to pull something like this off. Well, that's the end of Unforgiven. So coming up next, he's returning to the, the first first time for his cowboy thing with of Cry Macho. As of the time of this recording, seemingly no one has seen it, and it comes out in like four days. So I, I'm very curious. Used to be the kind of thing you could pull off was I could come out of nowhere with a movie and blow you away. We'll see. I'd love for him to do another great one. Well, yeah, we've, we've done it. Talked all about Unforgiven. Good movie. <laughs> it's, commentary it's, there. it's okay we saw, uh, dedicated to Don and Sergio by the way you yep. put that in there um, Don Bluth but, and Sergio Martinez exactly yep. <laughs> the, the very Bluth. same for uh, American American for Tale 2 yeah 
but uh yeah that is with that that's going to do it for this uh commentary track where can people find more of your guys's work online brandon uh the brandon peter show which is the brandon peter show.com anywhere podcasts are found apple itunes blah 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 and keep up with me uh at brandon 4k uhd on twitter and instagram and you can read my blu-ray and 4k reviews on why so blue.com can't see what would you like to plug can i go first next time because i can't that was an amazing list of achievements he's got going right now in terms of putting himself out there you can see antsy at the park uh walking around me on this show when i'm invited (laughs) and if i ever get to go on brandon show you'll see me there you are on my show when these drop on my show too so you're, you're going both ways awesome um always planning on something but right now this is the main thing all the milky way blues is out there and i'm on Twitter, Yancey Jack, and Facebook as myself. Yeah, you can you can find all the episodes of this silly show everywhere you can find podcasts. Search for Out Now Through Any on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can find it. Uh, I write for We Live Entertainment, Weiss is Blue, Occasionally Variety, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Next month is October, guys, so get ready. We have some plenty of horror plans coming as far as commentary tracks go. We got some ideas. We got not some horror, not horse like Unforgiven horror. horror. Yeah. Yeah, we got I heard some William, that word a lot. So I was, we got yeah. some William Money Mummy killings uh, next month. So it's gonna, it's going to be something. But uh, Brandon Yancey, thank you very much for joining me for this unforgiving commentary. Thank, thank you. you guys. Happy macho. <laughs> but yeah, until next time. So long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.